Vince McMahon being probed for doing unauthorized probing. The McMahon family is still in charge of the wrestling business, but the cons are moving up on the inside, folks. It's the who's running this thing edition of the Jim Cornette experience. And to join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's currently under investigation for ordering a gangland-style hit on a family of New Jersey bears the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. And that is not true. That sounds like Hollywood kind of stuff. There's no such thing as a gangland hit here in the wonders of suburban New Jersey. What happened to those bears? What bears? Exactly. Well, I tell you, we're still in a heat wave here, Brian. And by the way, after we had our dew point discussion... On your program here a few days ago, the drive-through, where you didn't even know what your dew point was, I took it upon myself to find out what the dew point is up there in the greater New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. When we had a dew point of 76 down here, do you know what your little pissy, pussy-ass dew point was up there? 62. 54. Hey, look at that. We're doing all right. Yeah, so you don't you don't even know what hot weather is. You don't know. No wonder you don't pay attention to your dew point, because you know you got a little pissy dew points and nobody even notices. We got real men's dew points down here. It'd be a good idea if you keep up on your dew point. They would behoove you to care for your uvula. But anyway, we're still in the heat wave down here. Every day this week has been between ninety five and ninety seven degrees with a heat index of 105 to 110 and high humidity. And then today, the cold front was supposed to blow through and give us some rain, which we haven't had in a week. Everybody's cooking. All of the grass is browning up the whole nine yards. And then we get two days without high humidity and old temperatures only in the 80s. And then next week, we're getting another heat wave where it's going to be worse. More record high temperatures, more record high-low temperatures. And and even if it's good at 99 is forecast. That's the temperature high for next Wednesday. But we were supposed to get at least a little rain here. And Brian, I'll have you, we had storms to the west of us and storms to the east of us and hail coming down all over the place. And here at the castle... The wind blew for five minutes, it drizzled rain for two minutes, and that's the end of it. No more rain for another week now. Getting hot over here, Brian. All right, well. Hot. Have fun with that dew. With the dew. It's not the dew, it's the dew point. That's a measurement. See, you don't even know your meteorological terminology. Say that three times fast. No. All right, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
What else is happening? It's your show. What am I doing? Just no cooperation whatsoever. <laughs> Rub your belly and pat your head at the same time. No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me just take a sip of my Sprite here. No. Not enough people here know. No one knows how to take it. Oh, shit. <laughs> he said no. Well, so here's what happened to me yesterday before we talk about the wrestling. So I've mentioned again on your program a few days ago, we finally conquered the action figure mountain. All the action figures that were ordered yeah, over the last couple months uh, from jimcornette.com finally signed. I got rid of the backlog, signed everything, handed it off to the Feather Bottoms, got our show recorded, and I was able to, for the first time in two and a half months, get up in the course of the day and not have to do anything that I didn't really want to do on that one day without feeling guilty. Because they're in, in the past, if I've taken an afternoon off or I've done something personal, I felt guilty, Brian. I had the, the weight of guilt hanging around me that because I am trying to take some meager little enjoyment in my life, at that point in time, I'm depriving a customer of the timely delivery, or in some cases, the overtimely delivery of their merchandise that they've ordered in good faith. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't bear that mental burden. So I haven't, I haven't been able to relax. It's like a pressure. It's a heaviness. I wake up every morning, a high heaviness. But anyway, finally, all that has come to an end. I owe people phone calls. Yes, I have multiple projects in the works that I need to be addressing. Yes. But one day I'm just going to, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know what I did, Brian last? No. What do I do every time I want to relax and clear my mind and accomplish something and feel good, take the day off and, and just, it just ring my brain out as Ernie Ladd would say. You sit in the sofa, watch some Jack Benny, get a nice cup of Ovaltine? No, I cleaned the house. Shampooed the car. I've been wanting to shampoo the carpets for weeks and weeks. There's one particular carpet that if Harley's going to be a bad little girl, I've named her Princess Poopenhouse of the German Poopenhouses. She'd, you know, so I, 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 I shampooed the carpet. I turned the vacuum cleaner upside down and examined the brushes and cut the hair and strings and things that wind up around the brushes out of the brushes and cleaned that out. I did a lot of maintenance around the house, a lot of things that have been nagging me. And now I have a feeling of, of, uh, of accomplishment and order, everything in its place, a place for everything and everything in its place. And so I'm doing that all day. Don't have to talk to anybody on the phone. Don't have to go out in public and suffer the presence of human organisms. I'm cleaning, getting the stress off of me, and the phone does ring. And I hear it ring, and I think, well, I'm running this carpet shampooer. I'll deal with it later. And I go and I check, and I want to see who's called to see if, you know, it could be some emergency. And it's my neighbor, stunning Steve Bradshaw. I've, I've mentioned him before on the program from back in the Southeast Quadrant. And 
of course, he is, uh, he's been doing me a favor back there because I mentioned a few weeks ago, we had a new rear fence put up across the back of the castle grounds. Nice, beautiful custom wood fence. And uh, along the inside of the fence there on my side, after the construction, it was a little wild out there back there anyway. And then by the time that they finished digging all these holes for the posts and everything, I had, I had dirt all over the place, blah, blah, blah. I said, get me some sod. You're familiar with sod up there in New Jersey, aren't you? They have sod in Jersey. Of course. And I'm familiar with sod buster Kenny J. Well, there he, he was the, see if I could have found him to put the sod in, he could have gotten me a better deal. But I said, give me some sod and let's put a streak or a streak or a string or a strip, whichever one you want. Of about three or four feet of sod. <laughs> what word were you trying to use? I was going for strip, a strip of sod, string of sod, streak of sod, whatever. I'm strapped for sod. Farouk sod. Farouk sod. So we got the Farouk sod all the way in front of the fence there on my side, but then the problem becomes now, like usual, my timing is impeccable. I've laid sod down right before a record heat wave and drought. So what we do, the problem is to get a hose or multiple hoses from the house to the back fence is problematic because you've got to, you could put enough of them together that you could reach it, obviously, but the water pressure diminishes, especially since the last hundred feet or so is uphill going that way. So, well, there's stunning. Steve is, is right on the other side of the fence and he's got a spigot that's merely 20, 25 feet from this fence. So he agreed as a community project to water this sod for me. But every time he goes back there, and every time I go back there for the past a community week or 10. A community project. <laughs> well, yeah, because, but that hey, the fence looks as good on their side as it does on my side. I got them a brand new fence in their backyard there now that they can be proud of and, and call their friends and relatives and co-workers and bring them over and say, look at this fence. Have you ever seen a fence like that? It's right in my backyard. So the least they can do is a little goddamn sod watering, right? But anyway, I digress. What are you laughing about? It's a community thing. I've brightened the neighborhood. I've beautified. A community oh, thing. It's, there's two families involved. It's not a community thing. No, there's three. The guy on the other side, I put a, a different kind of custom wood fence around the big oak tree in the corner so his dog has another 20 or 40 square feet to, to piss and shit in around the oak tree. But anyway, so the sod is what I was talking about, Brian. The sod. The sod, this old sod, every time we go back there, every day when he goes out to turn the sprinkler on and he moves it around the various places needs to go and every time i've gone back there to take a look at the how the sod is progressing and the monroes were back there last weekend cleaning some stuff up in the back corner there the sod is rolled back up it's turned over the dirt side is up it's it's like somebody's gone around and flapped it over like a like a throw rug in a bunch of places especially over in the southwest quadrant in the shady back corner where you really can't see much and I said, is it the deer? We don't know what the fuck. I said, first we thought maybe because he had his kids pulling the hose around that they were turning it over when they pulled the hose. 
So it must be the deer. Well, God, you know, we'll try to stomp it down or whatever. Well, since I've been back there, because it's been so hot, I haven't gone back there. Bradshaw called me because he got concerned about how is this happening. He wanted to see it. What's doing well, this? Is it a deer? Let's just clarify. Your neighbor, Steve, when you say Bradshaw, wasn't JBL calling you? No, no. He doesn't He lives down in the fucking, where is he, in the Bahamas, Jamaica? Ooh, I want to take you to Bermuda, Bahama. Ooh, pretty mama. Where does Bradshaw live, JBL? I don't know. Wherever there's a shower and some soap and someone looking to be terrorized, I'm sure you'll find JBL somewhere right. nearby. Come on now. I thought you were going to compliment him on his personal grooming. I mean, he takes a lot of showers, but anyway. So Mr. Bradshaw, stunning Steve of the Southeast Quadrant Bradshaws, he takes it upon him. He got into this. He got wrapped up in this fucking mystery. And I'll have you know, here's what he did. He went out and got one of those fucking night vision security cameras. And he stuck it. I don't know where the fuck. He must have stuck it on top of the, because it's it's not even behind his house where this is happening. It's behind the other way. So he stuck it down there. And the next day he said the sod was all flipped over and just fucking brutalized. And he runs, or they can't say tape, however these things run these days. He runs the camera, the video back. And do you know what's doing this? No. No. <laughs> See, now when I wanted you to say no, you took forever to come up with it. The biggest goddamn giant mutant raccoon you've ever seen in your life. The raccoons are back to plague me. He couldn't believe, he said, that, and I have seen since then, I've seen this raccoon. It was at the other end of the house this very morning. And it's twice the size of Harley Quinn. And it looks very fucking obstinate. It was just wandering around at its own speed, even though the winds were whipping up for the supposed storm that didn't come in. So the raccoon is up there uh, just flipping things over right and left and center and everything. And he says, what do you want me to do? He said, I've checked into this because now he was appalled at this. He said, we can get one of those traps. I said, oh, he said, well, no, it doesn't kill him. It just catches them. But then you got to call animal control and I'm, you know, to dispose of the, the beast. And I'm thinking, well, now I know it would be a great, fucking thumbnail for Travis to draw but I don't want my poor neighbor back there with a possibly rabid 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 raccoon in a fucking little parakeet cage or whatever that you get at feeder supply he said the other thing we can spray a little ammonia around the area and that they're very fastidious creatures they don't like the smell it runs them off I said do that so now we're we're going to wait and find out whether the ammonia has run the raccoon off that is destroying my high-priced sod back there in the in the rear quadrant. But Bradshaw had never heard and not JBL but this one had never heard the story of the my raccoon home invasion cuz he hadn't been listening to the show as as long as well we haven't told that one in a while. But I told him it was there on YouTube. Is it on YouTube? What YouTube clip is the story of the... Because it's been now 17 years since I was terrorized by apparently this 
giant mutant raccoon's grandfather. How long do raccoons live, Brian? I have no idea. Can you look that up? I could, yeah. Or can you can you give us the answer of what the title is of the raccoon clip on our YouTube channel is so that Bradshaw can hear about how I was nearly murdered in my sleep by an invading raccoon years ago? I don't know what the name of the video is. We'd have to find out that information. We could probably post it on Twitter. I thought you knew these things. I don't know the name of every video. We have thousands of videos. Well, it's not my fault. It's exactly your fault. Well, you don't have to blame me for it. I wasn't going to until you denied all blame <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Accept all blame? The lifespan of a raccoon in the wild is yeah. two, two to three years. Well, fuck, there's been five, six generations come and gone. And still, I'm on their list. I must be a legendary figure in raccoon lore. They're trying to see who will leave the property first, them or you. <laughs> well, every time I walk outside, they're hiding in the bushes. And they see that motherfucker over there. He's the one. Remember great, 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 Grandpa Cletus? He's the one that called the cops on great, 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 Grandpa Cletus and had them chase him at gunpoint off the deck. He was killed in that fall. We'll never forgive him for it. Anyway, so we've got night vision. You know what? Here's the thing. And, and there's nothing Brad, wrong with night vision. Night vision stuff is awesome. I got tons of it. Well, Steve, also Steve, you said he said he was going to email me the pictures. They're like the pictures from the thing or whatever. So maybe we can put those up on the YouTube channel over as B-roll of a video. Bradshaw, send me those pictures. We'll put them up. Pictures or video? Well, he, I, you know, he's, I thought he said he had video, but he said he's going to email me some pictures too. Maybe it's, he said they takes, I guess, freeze frames rapidly or whatever the fuck. And you can just see, you can almost see it are you, going. Are you sure this guy's on the level? That's what he told me. All right. He's got some kind of camera. I got videos, but, a, I'll, but I'll show a, you the pictures. He saw a big raccoon. And then the next day I see it. What do you think? Do you think he's actually back there letting giant raccoons loose on my property? Maybe he's entertained when you yell at things. This is a great way to get you going. I'll just release raccoons onto the property. <laughs> well, perfect sense. I don't know how he caught this one. Anyway, we'll, we'll clarify this, whether it's video or whether it's still photos, but it's a camera. Do you feel safe in the castle right now? Do you feel like you're ready? Nothing's going to get inside. Yes, I've got a deadbolt on the inside of that fucking door to my attic. Thanks to that last raccoon. Nobody, no creature, man, or beast can get in this house unauthorized. Let's put it that I have I have precautions and uh, backups in place. So the only people, the only creatures to ever impeach your security system have been raccoon and Bertie Sanders, correct? Uh, well, uh, the the birds don't impeach the security system because they come in the garage when the door is open. So uh, you can't. Okay, okay. You can't blame them for that kind of thing. They're not coming through a vent or anything. They're not. They're not coming in in an unauthorized location. They're not taking <laughs> the Green Mile fucking path into the castle. No, the the only unauthorized entrant. I tell a lie. 
the raccoon was an unauthorized entrant, but years ago, a squirrel somehow came down the chimney. Oh, wow. That, but that was many, many years ago, and my mother chased it away with a broom. <laughs> right out the back door. You were there for that? Yes, yes. Was it Jimmy was, opened the door? Did you have to open yeah, the door? While yes, open the door. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I redeemed myself for that one, one time. I'm like fucking, well, how far is a doorknob off the floor? Three feet, three and a half feet? Yeah, approximately. Okay, how if if you're a male child and you're three feet tall, how old are you? Four, five, something like that. You might know better than I do. Yeah, I don't know how. I guess so. Yeah, somewhere around. I'm very young. I'm a I'm a very young child, and my mom had impressed on me. She always locked doors. She always locked doors. She always closed door, locked door. Blah blah blah. So it's fucking it's snowing outside and it's winter time and there's snow on the ground and it's snowing and she's going to go out the back door of the bar downstairs to go to the pile to get some firewood and put it on the fire that we got going. Well, because she's just stepping 10 feet out the door, she leaves the door slightly ajar because she's going to come back in carrying, then she'll push it to carry the firewood, right? And I'm fucking four years old or whatever, but I see that she hadn't closed the door properly. So I go over, I shove it, a click. Now it's locked. Now I've locked her out in the backyard in the snow. She comes back up to the door with a handful of arm load of firewood. Jimmy, open the door. Well, now I can't. Cause it was the, the one with the stiff doorknob that it was hard to turn anyway. And I'm four years old and it's eye level to me. I'm reaching. I can't open it. I can't, I can't open it. Jimmy, damn it. The firewood drop. She walks up, up the hill and goes to the next back door on the back porch, right? To come in the, the back way. And of course, She's before she's done that, she said, stay right there. Well, of course, I don't do that. I wander up on my hands and knees. I may have been smaller than that. I go up the stairs and I go to the next door that she's at. And she she's the door is open. But the chain, remember, the chain used to have yeah. on on doors and they still have them in some of the hotels. Hotels have them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they did. now they got a thing you've got to fucking figure out like a Rubik's cube, how to flip it back and forth. But anyway, so the door is open, but the chain is on the door. And as she opens it, realize the chain is on it. I go, mama. Cause I'm like, Oh, there you are. Well, she thinks now I've, I've tripped on the stairs. I've hurt myself. She gives a big shove. And instead of that chain breaking the whole goddamn door frame, come off the phone. Oh my God. And it looked like a Buster Keaton movie. <laughs> it fell right at my feet. I'm standing there and it fell like a foot in front of me. <laughs> she goes, Jimmy, damn it. Well, you told me to always keep the doors closed. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> where were we going with that? Uh, JimCornette.com. There's a great segue. That's uh, the next comic book. That's the next comic book we need. Young Jim Cornette. The Adventures of Young Jim Cornette. <laughs> and then I can tell him about the time that I figured out what an electric fence was when we went down the road to visit the neighbors and they had 
cows behind them, and I tried to climb over the fence to pet the cows. That'll wake you up in a hurry, those electric fences. But I mentioned jimcornett.com, and I mentioned earlier that we have finished signing up all the figures. They're in the hands of the Fed. By now, when you hear this, they'll be out of the hands of the feather bottoms and into the mail system, and you probably already got some. Um, and also the NAMI fundraiser, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI.org. The I'm a Sin Guy shirts. We are uh, still have some some sizes available. A couple of sizes of the Sin shirts. Boy, that's a lot of alliteration. A couple sizes of Sin shirts are sold out, but we still have some others. You were going to interject in there somewhere. Yes, yeah, someone got in touch with us, and I think they said it's actually pronounced Nomi. Well, now they tell me. Not Nami. Maybe I'm wrong too, but. Nomi, there's no O in it. I think Nami sounds too fun for it to be Nami. Would, would, it, would it be Nami? I thought it, it was Nomi. I thought it was Nomi. Maybe it's Nami. You don't know me at all. <laughs> well, it's NAMI.org. However you want to say it, give, contribute to it. And there's a few Sin shirts still available in various sizes. And we've got news on the... Crusade for Children fundraiser coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, and the 10th edition, or 10th edition, the 10th anniversary edition of Bluegrass Brawlers that John Cosper just sent me. It's hot off the presses. Uh, greatly expanded. It's almost like reading a brand new book. This is, of course, the history of pro wrestling in, in the city of Louisville and it's been 10 years since John started the research on the original edition, and now he's done so much more, and we did some, he and I, when I was working on Tuesday night at the Gardens, and, you know, so he's, and he's done some updated interviews with some other people, so basically it's like a whole new book, but Bluegrass Brawlers at EatSleepWrestle.com is john's domain for all of these things he's written seventy-four thousand books but this is my favorite because i made the cover this time did i mention that yes he did well good and that's the way you can tell it's an authorized edition if i'm on the cover um have you got your copy yet i have not no well it says shows what john thinks of you exactly all righty <laughs> um real quickly some emails and I've been trying to go through emails and I've printed a bunch off to make sure that I recognize some people on the shows. We're going to spread them out a little bit because a lot of people, and I'm not complaining and saying don't do this, but a lot of people have written to us that they've had, you know, uh, bad luck or bad health or lost people in the family and that the programs that we do give them something to listen to, take their mind off of it. And I don't want to, you know, just have an endless string of those or maybe even people accuse people of jumping on the bandwagon just to get their name mentioned or whatever. But um, I'm, we're going to spread them out a little bit. So if you don't hear yours right away, but it is some of them are really touching. And um, Adam uh, wrote he lost his grandfather back in January at the age of 96. Um and he was a uh, he, he was a baseball fan. His grandfather was baseball lover. He could throw knuckleballs. He was a power hitting first baseman. Brian, you know about all this 
terminology. I wish I could throw a good knuckleball. I've never been able to master that. That's the hardest pitch. Well, either talk to Adam's grandfather or Abe Schwartz. Do you know what a knuckleball is? Well, that's where you stick your knuckle next to the ball and then throw it. Do you know what the purpose of a knuckleball is? It's to, boy, when, once you hit that guy in the knuckle, he can't okay. hold the bat. He can't pitch a ball. If you break his knuckle. It's the most difficult pitch to, ma- you can't even master it because it's all real luck. And the best guys do good most of the time. When you throw a fastball, curveball, any of the pitches you would regularly throw or that you would probably know, it's all about positioning your fingers with the seams on the baseball and trying to get a spin. The way the ball spins, the spin is what the pitcher's after. Ah, so it's the way you spin it. It's not what's really happening. It's the way you spin it. Well, that's a big part of it. With the knuckleball, you grip it with your fingertips, with your fingernails, and you're trying to throw the ball with no spin. Almost like it's a dead ball coming at you, and the wind could take it, and it could move in weird ways. And you'll see guys swing at real funky pitches that are coming straight at you and then zip the other way. Because there's no spin on the baseball. So that's the knuckleball. It's a very, very difficult pitch to throw. Very few people even throw it anymore. I've Sometimes I've noticed that when I grip things with my fingertips and or knuckles, that a dead ball is the result. <laughs> but back to well, Adam. Hopefully you could get some help for that. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we'll try to find a sponsor that we can... <laughs> plug into that segue but oh now come on it because we're talking about adam here again and i wasn't even finished yet he lost his grandfather and then his dog uh chatta passed away from cancer he was a rescue dog and he had her for eight years and he's been listening to the shows to lift his spirits and and anyway um and adam i will just say that that what you did to send chatta off was very sweet and i'm thinking about the same thing when it comes time for my little baby harley but i don't even want to think about that any further i'll get in a bad mood here but uh but yeah so thank you for injecting levity into the middle of that very heartfelt message we were trying to send out to one of the listeners brian too damn entertaining i tried to talk about the knuckleball because he brought up the knuckleball and then you started talking about putting your knuckles to your balls and how about his how about scott's email his wife was in a medically induced coma how much fun you want to make of him did she like baseball (laughs) (laughs) well tell me about scott scott Scott's, oh god damn it! I will not read this. I can't read down this whole email about Scott's wife's multiple organ failure. Oh no! Frick! The life-saving surgery that she was given and less than a five percent chance of making it. She was on life support in the medically induced coma, but it ends well, folks. That's why I've got this far, because nevertheless, these trials and tribulations are a thing of the past for Scott and his loving wife, because she's pulled through that. And do you know how it happened, Brian? They tried everything. They tried they tried playing music. They tried having family and friends send messages and loved ones talk to her and 
blah, blah, blah. And the nurses were encouraging, but said, you know, just, she just needs time to rest. And finally he had Scott, I'm talking about, he had an epiphany, an epiphany. And what's always the one thing that has made his lovely wife laugh and enjoy herself. And it was me pissing all over Donald Trump talking bad about president pig shit. And I'll, I'll have you know that he went to the hospital and played one of my promos on President Pig Shit and watched in amazement as she smiled and opened her eyes. The universal language of all caring, honest people. Once you hear something bad about Donald Trump, your eyes open and a smile makes it to your lips. And that's what happened. And then she couldn't still, she wasn't able to speak because she'd also undergone a tracheotomy. But he said she pointed to her eyes and then her chest and then to him, Scott, that is, and made the universal sign language of I love you. And the doctor's comment that he closes this email with, the doctor said, we all played a part in her recovery, even the man swearing. Were you the one swearing? Oh, that is funny. The man swearing. Even the man swearing. (laughs) And Scott says, I don't think the doctor has ever had the privilege of a Jim Cornette rant before, so I told him who you were. I tried to explain to him about the Midnight Express and your tennis racket, and in your own words, he looked at me as if I had a turd hanging out of my mouth. <laughs> so thank you, Jim. And of course, thank you, Brian. And thank you. Scott, we are happy that Joanna is on the road to recovery now. And that we can, and that's the first time that Donald Trump ever did anything positive for anybody, too. See, the previous one was about a knuckleball. This one about a screwball. And miracles do happen. Speaking of miracles... I've got an email from a listener talking about a time that Jake Roberts showed up. Oh, putting me in my place, I guess. Is this fiction <laughs> we're talking about? Good morning, Jess. This is from Albert. Good morning, Jim and Brian. On last week's show, you talked about Jake Roberts' comments on no-showing and or showing up fucked up. Well, he was talking about MJF no-showing. We were talking about Jake showing up fucked up. Uh, Albert continues, I like Jake. I've got nothing against him, but I can tell you it's, it's always a terrible Here we go. <laughs> preface, right? But I got nothing against this guy, but I can tell you around 2011 or 2012 icon held an autograph signing event here in Southern California. Jake was there. He was just sitting there very quiet, but in an instant he changed when it was his time to sign. He walked out pulled down his pants and mooned the crowd. (laughs) He then went behind Missy Hyatt and started thrusting his hips like he was fucking her. Must have had flashbacks to 1983 in Georgia. He was drawing glasses on people's faces and also writing DDT. I've heard this was the thing. He He wasn't drawing glasses on people's faces in pictures he was actually taking fans and sharpies and drawing on their faces writing ddt and drawing fake glasses on them 
That's what you want when you get an autograph. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Albert continues, when it was my turn, he tried to draw on me. <laughs> Did you try to draw on me, cowpoke? He tried to draw on me, but I respectfully declined. He got mad, signed his autograph, and waved me off like, get out of here. I wasn't mad. It is what it is. But Icon was pissed off. People were complaining. Well, I hope he has changed his ways. Love the show, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is. Ah, thank you, Albert. We love you too, but not as much as Jake loves Missy Hyde, apparently. Yeah, Jake Roberts, the uh, master of etiquette for meet and greets, giving advice to MJF <laughs> what to do and he, what not to do. <laughs> Jake put the meat in the meet and greets. Moon the green. That's what you want. Oh, who do you want to see? I, I want to see Jake the Snake. Hey, that's Jake the Snake on the stage. What's he? He's pulling down his pants. There he is. <laughs> and now he's trying to fuck Missy Hyatt on the stage in front of everybody. And now he's drawing on people. <laughs> what do you think if some some guy came home and their wife or mother or anybody said, "Why? Who's drawing glasses on your face with a sharpie?" <laughs> yeah. Jake Snake Roberts. It was the greatest day of my life. Who wrote DDT across your forehead today? (laughs) In gold Sharpie. (laughs) See, that's a case to debunk Jake's point. It would have been better for Jake to no-show. Yes. Because then nobody would have known that. Oh, boy. I talked about the thing I saw with him at LNS Comics in North America on Long Island when I was 13. And I said it was the most fucked up I've ever seen, like a celebrity at a public event where they have to be there for a while signing autographs. That one sounds a whole lot worse. All I saw Jake do was pass out at the table over and over again. He didn't write on people. He didn't draw on people. He could barely write his name. But this one sounds a whole lot worse. Yeah, well, Jake never made any news when he was asleep. It was, it was when he was conscious, but not really, that he made all of the news. That's when he was still ambulatory. All right. All righty. Anyway, we have a, a, here's something. And my friend, Mark James uh, from Memphis sent me an email the other day and it had an attachment on it. And I've Mark's another one of these people that I owe a phone call to because unfortunately he's just a friend of mine that I'd like to speak to, but nothing's been on fire or it has an emergency deadline. So I haven't got on a phone with him, but he sent me this email and attached to it was a letter that Lance Russell's son, Shane, had sent to him that he found, again, some of Lance's, you know, effects, and made a copy of it and sent it to Mark because he knew that Mark, well, we all loved Lance, but Mark loves stuff like this and just the, you know, ephemera and, you know, history of Memphis and Memphis wrestling and the personalities. And I don't think Shane would mind if I read this. I don't think Mark, Mark obviously wouldn't mind. I don't think Shane would mind if I read this because I'd heard that Lance did this, but I'd never seen the letter. And I can't remember. I think it was in one of the stories that Lance told, you know, as, uh, as he was doing the fan fest, you know, the several years before he passed away, uh, he had told the story of doing this, but I don't. I didn't know that it still existed. But I've heard the story. But anyway, I've never seen this until now. And what this is, is Lance wrote a letter to himself and put it in a drawer 
uh, just as a, as an exercise to himself when he finally made the decision to retire from the wrestling business. And I would have to think, and Brian, as we read this, he's going to mention a few things. It's somewhere in the late 90s. I can't remember exactly what year that he finally, he retired from the wrestling program in Memphis and still lived there for a period of time. And then he moved down to Pensacola, he and Audrey. And I think this was probably mid 90s when he left the Memphis program. And this was before uh, the, the business with uh, uh, the Larry Burton and him buying the company and the sale of the USWA and all that stuff. So I think it's probably mid nineties, right? But when you think about that, at that time, as we've talked about, Lance had been involved in and around wrestling business, starting as an announcer in the early 50s for like 40, 45 years almost. And he would have another 20 years of being an icon and then go into the fan fests and the reunions and people discovering all of his work on YouTube and everything and videos. So. His retirement letter, he was he may not have worked in the in the business anymore as a full-time personality, but he was still gonna be around it for over 20 more years. But would you like to hear this? Yeah, I'd love to hear this. Um, and it's there's no salutation, it's just it's typewritten. It says, I'm retiring from wrestling the last day of this year, exclamation point. There, I've said it and now I can't back out. That, by the way, is the hardest thing I've had to say maybe ever. Wrestling has been a part of my life since I was a young man and became hooked as a fan. Forty-something years later, I'm still hooked and still a fan. Why quit now? I guess it just seems like the right time. There's golf to play, fish to catch, and my one and only wife and I have some more traveling to do. One of the great things about living this long is the number of memories you file away. I'm sure I'll remember the towns we travel through by the arenas in which we wrestled. But most of all, for the rest of my life, I'll be able to sort through the memories of the matches, the wrestlers, and the incidents that made my life anything but dull. Such things as the night the boys put icy hot salve in Rick's tights and set him on fire. He didn't have a last name for Rick. The night Jackie, that can only be one person, Whipped ahead, going to the next town only to be discovered about eight miles down the highway doing his best hitchhiker move, buck naked. <laughs> that, was a famous, <laughs> that was a famous Fargo thing. Out of almost 14,000 matches, I remember the one I considered the greatest I ever called. It was for the NWA World Tag Team title when the champions, Eddie Graham and Sam Steamboat, defended against Hiro Matsuda and Inoki. The titles changed hands, much to my shock. There have been moments all along the way from the beginning in a converted movie theater in Jackson, Tennessee, to the wild, unpredictable thrills of Memphis and the final stop when I joined so many of my friends who had made the big time with the WCW in Atlanta. It hasn't always been easy. There's been cake in the face, a bag of flour dumped on my head by Jimmy Hart, pelted with bags of coffee, kicked in the ribs by a disgruntled Al Costello passing out when the sleeper hold was being demonstrated on me, a vertebrae dislocated during a front face lock demo, my suit being ripped off by Jerry Lawler and Sam Bass all on live TV, 
a different kind of harassment by the Freebirds when they totally manufactured a quote-unquote 16-year-old girlfriend for me. I think that was one of the Michael Hayes promos that I think it Lance's butt puckered. Anyway, there have been the I see it, but I don't believe it, such as picking up Andre the Giant at the airport and hearing the front seat of my van crack as he settled in. And the time Danny Hodge made applesauce by squeezing my whole apples and snapping the handles together on a pair of my undoctored pliers. I've worked with three of the greatest and most vocal managers of all time, Jimmy Cornette, Paulie Dangerously, and Jimmy Hart. Parenthetically, notice they're listed alphabetically. Their egos would never let me rest otherwise. <laughs> I could go on forever with memories, but I've only got to the end of this year. Finally, most of all, I remember the fans with whom I shared so much in so many cities through a one-on-one -on -one relationship. They'll never know what their greeting me as an old friend has meant, and I'll never forget it. Wow, that's tremendous. And, you know, that's the kind of guy, Lance, and he just wrote that letter and put it in his drawer and decided, okay, now that I've done this, I can't back out. Um. Well, he lived so long, we talked about it, but he was nearing 70, and he wanted to travel and spend time with Audrey and et cetera. So, and the territory was going, and, you know, it was time to go, but he he made it official with this so that he couldn't back out on himself, and I thought that was just fantastic. You know, Lance, in 89, shocked a lot of people when he went to WCW. He had been in Memphis forever. No one ever thought Lance Russell was going to jump, <laughs> at least of all the promotion. No one ever thought Lance <laughs> Russell was going to jump, and he did. And he slightly changed his broadcasting style because he was now on a national broadcast. Do you think if Lance, around that period of time, if he had had an offer, let's say Shivani stays with WCW, the NWA, if Vince decided to give Lance Russell a shot, do you think he would have gotten along with Vince? Do you think he would have worked at all in that system for a couple of years? Oh, well, I mean, Lance could get along with anybody. Um, well, Vince can't. Well, <laughs> you know, here's the thing is when Lance didn't never left Memphis per se when he took the WCW job because he was only required to go to you know, Atlanta for the TV tapings. And then there was times they put him on the road with some of the tours. So he'd do that 900 line thing. So there was more travel involved, but it wasn't, it, you know, I think it, even at that time, if Vince had hired a, an announcer, he would have insisted the announcer relocate to Stanford as he did, yeah, no you know, in the nineties. Lance, at the, that stage of his life, was not going to move from Memphis, Tennessee to Stanford, Connecticut when he was closer to retiring than he was to anything else. It was, you know, the, the thing was with uh, Memphis, the territory business was going down. Lance could see that. Um, and at the same time, they offered a, you know, ridiculous amount of guaranteed money from a major corporation to do what he'd been doing all of his life, just in a, a different way and in different places. So I think that's why he took it. And it wasn't like he really enjoyed it because he, it wasn't the wrestling that, that he knew and he didn't get a chance to be Lance. He had to kind of just be the generic announcer guy. And 
you know, he didn't have the connection with all of those fans that had, you know, he'd watched multiple generations of them grow up in front of his eyes in Memphis, whereas, you know, he's just another guy to people in Oregon. So he did it for for that and because he would have been kind of foolish to turn the money down and and really, like I said, more travel, but really less work. He had a lot more responsibility when he was the only he and Dave were the only TV announcers that Memphis had, and he was the only guy at the uh, Mid-South Coliseum unless Randy Hales wanted to fill in. But uh, but he didn't really have fun with WCW, and that's why he, when he went back to Memphis, he guested on the wrestling program a few times after that point on and off and then made the decision to to retire. Did you have to twist his arm at all in early 93 to do the Bluegrass Brawl? And how long before you booked that show did you know you were going to try to get him or did you talk to him? Well, here's the I, here's how I had to twist his arm. Lance, we're running this show and we're, we would love to have you come up and do the commentary with Les Thatcher. And he said, well, you know, Audrey and I would like to go up to as somewhere. I can't remember where it was. <laughs> And but it was somewhere in Virginia. He was either going to visit family or do something. He said, we could do that on the way. So that was how hard I had to twist his arm. He made a trip out of it to to get a chance to, you know, come up, see some of the guys work the show, uh, work with Les, who he obviously knew well, but had barely ever, I think, if ever worked with as far as doing a broadcast. And um you know, I felt the only thing I felt bad about was it was so fucking hot in that building. And Lance is like 72 or whatever at that time. It had been 30 years ago. And, um, you know, but he was a pro and, and you put up with the whole thing. And it was it was great having Lance's voice on one of our, you know, we not only did the show for television, but also for a home video. But that was... um. You know, it, it was he he didn't he didn't mind at all coming and visiting and, and doing something like that if it was around home and he could turn a trip or turn a, you know, turn it into a trip of some kind with Audrey. And at the same time, he wasn't going to, you know, make a second career out of going all across the country announcing wrestling, nor were a lot of people asking him at that time because, you know, they didn't even know they could. And probably he wouldn't have listened. But for, you know, for returns to Memphis or a chance to do something, you know, for me like that, uh, he, he had a ball. All right. Are you having a ball here today? I'm having a ball. And I'll tell you what, I've not only had a ball today, but also I've had a spoon. <laughs> and I'll, you know what, and I'm not talking about playing high life, folks. I'm talking about a spoonful of magic, courtesy of our friends at Magic Spoon. When you wake up in the morning, no longer can you eat all the sugar and the carbs and the additives and the preservatives. It's like drinking embalming fluid. You don't want to do that. You want to be healthy and have a great taste in breakfast and start your day off with a smile. As a matter of fact, the smile on my face has been here since I got up this morning, and they're going to have to wipe it off with a sandblaster because the Magic Spoon Build Your Own Bundle deal is still alive and well at magicspoon.com, which has, by the way, if we've mentioned it before, 
If you haven't noted it, written it down, we'll tell you again. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving, except the Honey Nut has one gram of sugar because, well, you know Honey Nuts, they've got to be different. But it's only 140 calories a serving because it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And right now, you can build your own custom bundle. You don't have to take what they want to send you. You can ask for what you want. Cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, cookies and cream, maple waffle, blueberry muffin, cinnamon roll, and the aforementioned honey nut. And they've just brought back the cereal bars. If you don't want to take time to open the box, pour the cereal in a bowl, and either eat it with a spoon or your hands, like normal people do, then just eat it in a bar. I'm not talking about a bar where you drink alcohol. Actually, if you want to go into a bar and eat a Magic Spoon cereal bar, that would be legal also. But you can't go in a bowl of cereal and drink alcohol because that's against the law. Unless you're 21. Where were we going with that? I don't know where you were going with that. These cereal bars are so popular that Magic Spoon brought them back permanently. That's almost forever. It's the perfectly convenient on-the-go companion for your cereal, the cereal bar. You can't keep cereal in your back pocket. You just can't. And the milk drips through and it looks like you've pooped yourself. But you can keep one of these cereal bars in your back pocket. And as long as you sit down gingerly, then you can still eat breakfast or lunch or dinner or a snack anytime you want. Just pull it out. Actually, you can pre pre unwrap the thing, take the wrapper off, and just stick the naked cereal bar in your back pocket, and then go out on the job, work, do construction for about ten or twelve hours, then pull that cereal bar out of your pocket and chow down. It'll taste like peanut butter ass, but it'll still be no, healthy. No, don't say it'll taste delicious. We what well, are you it'll taste delicious unless if you unwrap it and stick it in your pocket and then go out on the job for ten or twelve hours. Why would someone unwrap it and put it in their pocket? It makes no Cause, sense. Because I just told them to. Don't do that. Well, see? don't do that at home, and don't tell them to do that. I mean, don't do it at home, and don't do it on the road. But do go to magicspoon.com/gym right now. And grab a custom bundle of the best-tasting, healthiest cereal on the market today and use the promo code JIM at checkout to save $5 off your order. $5 off. That's that's, That's twice what you'd get on any other fucking discount. At least. $5, for heaven's sake. That's a lot of money. You know what you can do with $5 these days? Buy a gallon of gas. That's right. And see, and that's like gold. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. You'll be smiling like I am, or else. That's the guarantee. You smile after you eat this stuff, or else. But also, they'll refund your money if you don't smile when when you eat it. Or else. Remember. Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Jim and use the code Jim to save that $5 off. Or maybe they'll just send you a can of gasoline. Maybe they would just do that. No, they won't do that. They so won't do that? put that idea in people's heads, no. Well, they can't really mail the gasoline, can they? No. Well, and they'll just send you the $5 and you use the $5 to buy your own gas. 
If that's how you wish to use your $5, yes. Well, they won't really send you $5. They just won't take $5. They'll take some money from you, but they'll leave you with $5. So five after you buy the magic spoon, $5 is all you'll have left. Get a gallon no, of gas. Let's focus on the cereal, not the transaction. Okay, but I'm just trying to figure out where this $5 is going. It could go wherever you want. You don't have to focus. Well, you're saving it, so I guess you could put it wherever you want, but... Yeah. Well, there you go. Then decide where you're going to put this $5 and then go to magicspoon.com slash Jim. And put the magic spoon in your mouth and enjoy it. Magic spoon. You know, there's a problem. Me and the Midnight Express, one night we were very late coming back from a show, right? And we couldn't just, we couldn't drive any further. So we had to stop at this little motel in the middle of nowhere on the side of the road. And it's me and it's Bobby and it's Stan. And we went in and we found the one guy working there at this little joint. He's, he's behind the desk. And we said, we, we can't go any further. We can't drive. Anymore. We got to have some place to sleep just for a few hours. What do you got? He said, well, I've just got one room. Just got one room. Yeah, well, just a couple hours. We'll take a nap. Okay, we'll take it. Well, it's $45. $45? It's already four in the morning. We're only going to be here a couple hours. Well, it's $45. So I put down 15 bucks, and Stan put down 15 bucks, and Bobby put down 15 bucks. We paid the guy the $45. We went to the room. Well, then the guy started feeling guilty. He said, you know what? I really did break those guys over the coals. I shouldn't have charged them $45 for that room. I should have charged him $40. So he calls his bellhop, Maurice. Maurice the bellhop. Calls him over. He says, Maurice, here. One, two, three, four, five. He counted out five $1 bills. He said, go take this to these guys and give them this discount on the room. They paid $45. I should only charge them $40. Here's $5. So Maurice the bellhop, he's on the way to the room with that $5, but he realizes on the way there, wait a minute. I got five $1 bills here. But I can't divide this evenly over three guys. That that doesn't work out. The math just ain't there. So what he did was he knocked on the door. And when I answered the door, he said, well, we overcharged you. So here, and he gave me a dollar and he gave Stan a dollar and he gave Bobby a dollar. What we didn't know was he had put $2 in his pocket, right? So the problem became when we checked out the next morning, and realize this, originally, originally, we had paid $45 for that room, right? $15 each. But now, we had each been given a dollar back, and the bellhop kept two, right? So therefore, we only had $40 in the room instead of $45. So therefore... If the if we had $14 a piece, and that means $14.28.42, and the bellhop kept $2, where'd the other dollar go? Kept us up all night. Well, it, it's, it's simple mathematics. We each had $15 in it because we paid $45. Then we each got a dollar back. We got $14 in it. $14.28.42, the bellhop stuck two in his pocket. Where'd the other dollar go? I blame Maurice. You got that answer? I, I don't know. I blame Maurice too. How long do raccoons live in the wild? <laughs> All righty then. We have another magic spoon. From, magic spoon. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have another email from Mark. Mark Cole, as a matter of fact, who is 
sent in questions in the past. And he says, Jim and Brian, lately, we've been seeing some missing territorial TV shows and or independent outlaw promotions showing up on YouTube. This led me to wonder about Jim's legendary tape collection and throw out some questions. Number one, at what point did Jim become too busy to regularly tape stuff at home or trade tapes? I presume sometime during the JCP years. Number two, as an historian and collector, I would think he still has most, if not all, of his collection going back to the 70s. Number three, has Jim figured out a legacy for these tapes in the future? Will they go up for sale? Has Brian called dibs on them? And uh, number four, I know a lot of the footage out there, especially Memphis, can be traced back to Jim's collection, but I wonder what might be in the collection that historians would most want to see. Fort Worth TV from Jim's time in Dallas? Ooh. Some of the missing episodes from the WMC version of Memphis TV? Or what? Sorry for the long email, but tape preservation and historical documentation has been on my mind. Well, in, in order... Um, Actually, easily, yes, I still have all of my collection. All the videotapes that I ever taped, I still have. Um, at what point I became too busy, I don't, have we ever said I've got all the Crockett tapes, but have we ever actually gone into the nuts and bolts of how I recorded everything? Because... Yeah, a long time ago in 6.05. Well, a quick version. When I lived in Charlotte, worked for Crockett, in my audio-video setup, I had at any one time between four and six different VCRs all hooked up and all running and all operational because at that point, there were so many shows that just Crockett broadcast that you needed multiple VCRs. When I was on the road, right, I had that was my... I actually had a written schedule sitting on top of the entertainment complex of exactly how I was supposed to program the VCRs for that weekend. And before I left home for whatever trip I was going on, I would program the various VCRs for every program that was available to me, which were all Crockett shows. So I got the Saturday night TBS, Sunday night TBS, later on when it came on Friday night TBS, both hours of Crockett syndication because they were on the air locally in Charlotte. And Charlotte had a third TV that only a couple of markets had, which was a 30-minute show, which I think was just basically a house show match or two uh, that Tony Schiavone hosted. And I would record those. And then... I obviously, Weasel Dooley was still the, my Memphis man. I got the complete Memphis TVs plus the complete Mid-South TVs plus the complete world-class TVs. And then he would excerpt stuff from the, because the AWA and WWF syndicated TVs at that point in time were, as we mentioned, about as exciting as watching paint dry. So he would excerpt the best promos and the highlights of those, along with stuff from Puerto Rico and, and the other territory. I don't know that I ever got an entire one-hour complete Kansas City All-Star Wrestling 
central states program because well, you're better for it. I was about to say there's a <laughs> limit to completionism, but um, but so I got everything that was broadcast that was halfway worth anything. This was up until when I left WCW, I still taped their programs because I wanted to keep up with everybody. I didn't watch them as closely, but really when I got heavily involved in Smoky Mountain, the territories had gone away. There was really nothing else for Weasel to fucking record for me anymore except Memphis TV, and that was you know, iffy at that point. Uh, I'm talking about the quality of it and the, the talent, whoever's in the territory, sometimes is good and sometimes eh. Um, there weren't many other TV shows. So, and that's uh, the Smoky Mountain years, just because the territories went away and everything was all on national cable except what I was doing in Memphis. And that's when, you know, there was nothing else to tape and send. Um... As far well, as a legacy for the tapes of hey, the can future, I ask you, you, will you go ahead, ask, ask me, ask me something. Of everything you just named, what percentage is VHS versus beta? Um, geez, maybe 60, 40, because actually for a while there in the, in the mid eighties, it was more heavily beta than VHS. Because beta obviously is every well, I, I don't know whether everybody knows this or not. Now, beta was better format. Beta was better picture quality. Beta beta was a better machine. The kids don't know what VHS is. Well, shit, it's been gone a what, long time. If you think about it, they don't know what beta is either. Then, basically, there were two half inch home videotape formats. Half inch tape because that was the thickness of the tape. Uh, broadcast quality tape at that time was three-quarter inch and one inch. Um, but there were two formats of half-inch home video recorder tape, VHS and Beta, because the, the Sony Corporation invented Beta, I believe, slightly before RCA Victor came out with VHS. Right? Well, I don't say invented, but they came out with the first Beta machines before... RCA came out with the first VHS machines, right? I believe so, yes. And beta was the dominant format in Japan. But VHS became the dominant format first in the United States and around the world because that, and I'm not lying when I say this, folks, this is actually accurate. The porn producers decided to go with VHS as a format which flipped the format wars in VHS's favor. And as a result, especially in this country, after the first few years, VHS outnumbered beta 10 or 20 to one. But beta was the better format, had the better picture quality. And if you made copies of the tapes, they looked better beta to beta than VHS to V. It was just, it was a superior format. As I still have the, Sony HLF 1000 Super Beta Machine that I bought in 1986. And it's the best video deck I ever had. And it had a built-in character generator. And it's got insert editing and flying race heads and a jog shuttle wheel with a frame counter that, uh, or a time counter that counts hours, minutes, seconds, and frames. That's what I would do music videos on for the boys and, and whatever. But I digress. How um, much video editing did you do at home during Smoky Mountain Wrestling? 
Well, during Smoky Mountain, none, because I had access to the production company. And I would I did the music videos, most of them that you I edited them that you saw on Smoky Mountain television, but they would just I'd take a bunch of three quarter inch you know, umatic backup tapes of the shows and sit at the editor overnight myself at the fucking at Tennessee Production Center and work on one of those from eleven o'clock at night till six o'clock the next morning. Cause they didn't give a shit. Uh so that's the only time I had. But I edited some um, Midnight Express videos and Flair videos and Midnight versus the Fantastics and stuff and gave them to the Fantastics, gave them to Flair and gave them to the Midnight, et cetera, just for fun when I would, when I had a lot more energy and would have a day or two off. Um, But anyway, but yeah, so the point is when I would get tapes from Japan, because I've got all of Baba and Inoki's television programs from what, 1981 through the early 90s. Those were on beta because people in Japan were recording them on beta because that was still the dominant format. So, you know, it just depends on what's what. But I, in my collection now, probably it would be 60% VHS, 40% beta just because of the amount of beta machines that I had because it was a better format. Where they're going to go, you're the youngest friend that I have. You know that? You might end up with everything eventually. Well, thank you. I feel like an old man, so it's nice to hear that. Well, I didn't say you were young. I said you're the youngest <laughs> friend I've got. Well, thanks, I think. And see, already we're, we're drawn from a fucking small pool. <laughs> but Hotchkiss and I and the Featherbottoms, one of the projects that we've talked about is transferring video. And unfortunately, you know, I'm going to have to hire assistance for the feather bottoms now with all the other shit we've got going on with the website and the other projects and etc but i mean i don't know honestly if all this stuff will ever be transferred because then again you know my retirement i've got a lot of projects to work on but i think i've figured out one time there may be six thousand hours of wrestling in the vault on all the actually probably more than that at this point because that was a while back and <clears throat> you still got to add dvds and stuff into the mix of all the hours of wrestling i've got so i've thought about trying to transfer you know the highlights the good stuff because you know you have a one-hour tv show from somewhere that may have one great match but then at the same point i'm probably the last repository of some of these smaller territory stuff from certain parts of the early eighties, when not everybody had a VCR and all these people are getting older and people have abandoned their tapes and storage units. Cause a lot of my tape trading friends had all the same shit back in the eighties. So I just assume everybody's got it. It may not have lasted as well as mine has. Yeah, and a lot of what you may have seen is, you know, a throwaway territory of one good thing is now historically important because it may be the only evidence we have of the commentator, of the way the show was formatted, of various different yeah. things. There's so much lost. There's so much found. Well, and also he mentioned Fort Worth TV, and I did record when I was in Dallas all the two-hour Fort, Fort Worth shows on Saturday nights, and those, you don't ever see anything on YouTube or clips or people excerpting from those shows because they... We've talked about Channel 11, KTVT, was on 
satellite and was a super station in the Southwest, but not all across the country. And I don't know how many people were taping that program, especially since, in a lot of cases, I mean, yes, you saw the Freebirds versus the Von Ericks, and you saw Flair versus Kerry, but you also saw two out of three falls, Brian Adias versus fucking Chris Adams in a building with nobody in it. So it was hit and miss with the 30 minutes of Memphis TV that didn't make the rest of the of the uh, uh, the loop, Louisville, Evansville, Lexington, etc. That stuff was gone forever, except that they didn't even keep there. It never went on tape in the TV studio. If you taped it at home on VHS, then it lived. But if it, the the actual TV station never taped, when you looked at the format, you could tell whether you were on the tape or in, in the dark because it said Jim versus Brian, match one, nine minutes, tape. Promo Brian, three minutes, dark. Dark was only for Memphis. And that was live. And once it was sent out, you never saw it again. I've got a bunch of that stuff because... Randy Hales would tape some and send it to me and I'd trade shit with him or Danny Davis at one point lived in, well, he, at one point he's from Jackson, Tennessee. He still lived there at one point in time he was wrestling in the territory and he would record the Jackson shows, which were an hour of matches from the mid South Coliseum that they only showed in Jackson and Tupelo because there was overlap with the Memphis TV. So that was a secondary show. They never kept those, but those were arena matches. I've got more of those probably than anybody, as well See, as... The thing is with ahead. you, I think that you're one of the few people who kept everything before VHS tapes or beta tapes were inexpensive. That's what oh, separates yeah. you from a lot of other people. A lot of other people had stuff, made compilations, got rid of tapes, taped over stuff, only kept the things that they wanted. You kept everything, and that's valuable, even if it's stuff you think is crap. It's now historical. Well, and, and then, of course, some of the tapes that I got from other people, you know, it was on six-hour speed or whatever, but I made, the, I made the decision early on, and I regretted it after a while, but I made the decision to go with four-hour speed when I started recording VHS tapes of wrestling because it would make the tape last twice as long. Because that was the speed. It was two and four hours. There was no six-hour speed in 1979. When I got my first VCR, the blank VHS tapes, a two-hour tape was 25 bucks plus tax. And you had to go to the mall to the Sylvania store and get them. So I said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to tape two hours for 25 bucks. I'll tape it at four hours. And then later on, I said, you know, I should have bit the bullet. The picture quality would be so so good because the early VHS machines at two-hour speed, their picture was fantastic also, just not quite as good as beta. But then as they started making the machines cheaper and the tapes cheaper and they brought out the six-hour speed, well, then you got what you got. And I'd, I would use six-hour because then the problem was Four-hour speed was phased out, and four-hour speed, when they came to on-screen search, wouldn't work. So then you had two or six-hour. But nevertheless... I was all about two-hour. In the 90s, when I was taping stuff, everything I have, like ECW off TV and all the Monday Night War stuff, was all 
SP. Get it in two oh, hours, yeah. best quality. Don't mess around. And now yeah, I find that, them. My ECW stuff looks better than theirs. <laughs> well, that's when those tapes were, were like fucking five dollars a piece. When I moved to Charlotte, I discovered in one of the audiovisual magazines that were on the stands at the time with the new VCR models and all that stuff, the ads for the places in New York where you could buy a case of tapes. And if you bought a case, which was, I think, 12 at a time, you could get them for 10 or 12 bucks a piece. And that, oh my God. So I had cases of tapes being delivered to the house all the time. But, um, but anyway, that's some of the stuff that I've got is, you know, when I've got local cable access stuff too, I have shit people shot on camcorders. And over the past number of years, people have sent me, you know, film transfers and things that, that they had found. So do you have ICW stuff with Pafo? Yes. Um, not as much early stuff as I would like, because that's one thing that I I did give Christine Jarrett, a few of the early ICW shows on tape when they were doing the challenges because they were preparing for a lawsuit <laughs> and they wanted evidence. Wow. That was before I got two machines and I could, I could duplicate back and forth. Right. But then that's why I got the second machine. So I could duplicate shit. I was going to say, was that the reason or was there a specific match or reason you got a second machine? No, the, the, the second machine was to start making copies because then I found other people that you know, we're recording shit like I was. I thought I would be the only person in the world that would buy a VCR for $1,000 45 years ago to tape wrestling. But when I found out there were other people, then I need to be able to make copies so that I can send them so they can send me shit. So that's when, and then my original Magnavox uh, piano key uh, VHS machine went to Weasel Dooley to become his second VCR to make copies of tapes for me. <laughs> And then I just started getting them like fucking crazy. Every time a new one would come out, JVCs, Hitachis, Sony's, Magnavoxes, whatever the case, they were, uh, it was it. They all had great features and new designs and the LED level meters came in and it was, it was fabulous. And now it's all this goddamn witchery on the internet there's no tape there's no component stereo to hook it up to there's no goddamn tape decks that you can line up and dub from one to the other it's all on this fucking computer nobody knows how it works well no, lots of people know how it works but there's certainly but nobody is... can work it well some people can but now i got my vcr here i still pop in the tapes and watch them old school plus i can convert them on the computer using the vcr so that's something you could do well, that's something that we're going to check into Hotchkiss and the Featherbottoms tackling, but it's going to it's going to be a while before all this gets transferred. I have a feeling. I've got I got Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, house show matches that nobody's oh, seen man. since we did them. Probably fifty hours of those. I got to get on that at some point. What about like outtakes? You know, there's a big audience for those. Oh yeah, promo you know outtakes. Me. You know me. I saved the outtakes. <laughs> I said Tracy Smothers was so wrapped up and fired up one time he starts cutting a promo and he started because he had just come from WCW and he was still chapped about them. His ass was chapped and he starts talking about his opponent. It may have been Dirty White Boy, but who ain't got no respect for wrestling or the people in it. Just like the no good. And he starts naming off people in WCW and, and Eric Bischoff, and this guy and that guy. If anybody don't like what I'm saying, 
Then the, my address is 427 Hillside Drive, Springfield, Tennessee. He gave his real street address <laughs> on the interview. He said, you come knock on my door if you don't like what I'm saying. He lost track of the match, and he was mad at WCW again. We saved. And then he's cutting a promo one time, and we have it's a local promo. So we would do those in the locker room or a hotel room or wherever we could find to get some of the boys in, just do the local promos. And we would duct tape a fucking muslin sheet drop to the wall so it looked okay. And Tracy's cutting that promo and the goddamn backdrop just falls down and falls over Chip Kessler's head. And and everybody else starts laughing and Tracy's still cutting the promo and the whole shit's falling apart around him. He don't even notice. I got a lot of that stuff too. You've brought up in the past the Landstorm video that he sent you to get him hired and eventually actually got Jericho hired as well. But yes. how, how many of those videos, those kind of videos, audition videos, submission videos, whatever you want to call them, how many of those do you actually have from, would it have started in WCW or did it start in Smoky Mountain where you would have No, it started, those? well, in, in WCW, I, we got a few. and But then Smoky Mountain, it really picked up because I was the one that they would, you know, send the tape to if if a decision was going to be made, it would be made by me and WCW were just looking around and WWF. They came in by the bushel load, as you can imagine. Um, how many of, I don't, I've, a lot of them are in the cabinet over here in the office. I've got Candidos. I've got Lance Storms. I've got, I think the first time I ever saw Jim Mitchell, Daryl Van Horn, uh, Canyon, um, I got to go through there. There, most of them are labeled. What about I, the guys you rejected I've, that you're probably not remembering? Well, no. As a thing, I've saved some of the more spectacular failures, as well as some of the more, you know, Jim diamonds in the rough. So I've got the storms and the candidos and things like that. But I've also got some. You, oh my God, there was one guy that used to send videos all the time that fucking played the guitar and his dog would howl next to him and he had flashing strobe lights all over his guitar and his his clothing and he had a whole fucking gimmick and god bold i'm god bold <laughs> how do you know this because the guy's kind of legendary for pretending to be a professional wrestler <laughs> yes the amazing god bold or what was it <laughs> Oh, I can't believe that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm telling you. And remember it is dog. What was his faithful dog's name? I don't remember, but uh... I can't. But I've got a file of <laughs> of paperwork that have been pictures that I've been sent going back years from wannabe bookers, wannabe wrestlers, the videotapes, whole nine yards. Anyway, but yes, yeah, so Mark's questions. There's a lot of stuff in here that probably now, as I think about it, probably doesn't exist anywhere else. These libraries were not sold to the WWF, nor were they ever even kept and sold to anybody. Some of them couldn't be sold to the WWF or WWE because it's actually public domain. They could sell master tapes, but they can't actually sell any of the intellectual property or rights to anything that's on the show. Right. And what we've talked about in the past, I mean, it was the Wild West. These A lot of wrestling shows, almost all the wrestling shows, were meant to be broadcast once and never seen again. There was never a rerun. They didn't keep most of the tapes. The the uh, promoters with foresight, like 
Eddie Graham or Fritz had the big library or Vern or whatever, still they, the copyrights on a lot of this stuff is in conflict. Either they didn't register things, didn't do things the proper way, or think about how, it's another thing that's not even brought up a lot in discussion of this. There were a lot of different owners of these territory wrestling promotions at any given point. Somebody might have a points here and points there and a piece of this, a piece of that. And they opened up companies and closed down companies. And so I don't even know if they could keep track of, of if the documentation was not done properly, then couldn't a person who owned part of a promotion in, say, 1974 say, well, all those shows from 1974 are 20% mine? Well, where's the paperwork all? We don't have no paperwork, but I own the company or part of it. Who knows, right? No, and that's the truth. With a lot of that stuff, I mean, I'll give you an example. Ron Fuller's out there hawking Southeastern and Continental stuff. He doesn't own any of that shit. <laughs> he sold that company several times. And the tapes are public domain, if anything. So, I mean, there's a great example. Uh, you know, with Memphis... There's very little that the people who actually own the promotion could do. It's out there now. It's public domain. They don't even have it. Well, and then even if there was, we've talked about this before. I apologize if they've heard the story, but with Memphis, everybody every once in a while will ask the question, well, what about the Memphis library? They didn't keep a lot of the stuff. They, they'd keep like six weeks of tapes and then they'd start reusing them. Um, I used to, that's another thing I used to do. I used to go over to Jerry Jarrett's house, the office he had in his house that, um, Randy West did all the video work. And while Randy was doing whatever, he'd let me hook my VCR up to one of his three quarter machines. That's how I got a first generation copy of the empty Coliseum match with Lawler and Funk first generation copy of the Tupelo concession stand brawl with Lawler and Dundee and Ferris and Latham. And even at that point, some of their three-quarter-inch tapes were starting to glitch and shiver. And there's a an angle they did in Louisville where the heels stripped Jerry Jarrett's clothes off, left him in his underwear in the middle of the ring, and it caused such heat that uh, people started hitting the ring. And and one of the, the cops got in the ring to throw one of the fans out, which they did cartwheeled him over the top rope. Greatest bump I've ever seen, and it was by a fucking mark. And there wasn't nobody to catch him on the other side either. But Jerry Jarrett runs into the ring for this angle, and he's in street clothes, and one of the cops turns around and sees another guy in street clothes sliding in the ring and grabs his fucking gun and is about to pull and draw on Jerry Jarrett, and he sees that it's Jarrett when he looks up and he, oh, and he goes to throw somebody else out. That tape was falling apart. When you put the time-based corrector on it, it looked like a series of still frames but i i transferred as much stuff as i could get off of their shelves at the time because i knew that unless it was something that either lawler or jarrett or dundee got a real tickle out of and wanted to keep just for posterity all that stuff was going to be erased and taped over so the point is with the memphis stuff when jerry jarrett sold his part of the company to Lawler so that Lawler and Larry Burton could turn around and milk the people from Cleveland. 
Jarrett signed away his rights. He even commented, he said, you know, I guess I wasn't as smart a businessman as I thought I was, or I would have kept a lot of the videos. And then Lawler and, and Larry Burton sold to the people in Cleveland that then folded the company and went out of business that now may not even be alive anymore because it's been 25 years. And so the fans, myself and some other of the dedicated Memphis wrestling fans, actually collected more of the Memphis wrestling video than the Memphis wrestling office ever kept. And then several years ago, Lawler was trying to find copies and get it all put together because he thought that he might be able to work out a deal for the network, but there's no paper trail. There's no documents that says that anybody has the right to air or sell or reproduce or profit from any of this stuff in any way, even the people that paid for it that are on the show that paid to have it produced, ran the company and fucking are the stars of the program. But nobody's got paperwork on anything because it was the wrestling business. So there you go. Did that answer Mark's question? Part of it. I mean, we can keep going all day and we can't, <laughs> unfortunately, but we'll probably return to this topic. But to the overall thing, yeah, there are things that keep popping up and I think it'll keep happening. I was talking to Brian Solomon recently. He has reason to believe, or at least is of the belief, that Fred Blassie had either film or something of the match with Tolis at the Coliseum. Oh, my God. Now, WWE, I think, has a lot of, if not most of, if not everything, from the Fred Blassie collection. So who knows if that's buried in there? But again, when you hear that, that's always my belief. It's either a wrestler or a family of a wrestler, or someone who worked at the TV station, a janitor, or some dedicated fan who was into equipment. You never know what's going to turn up, but there's still a lot of stuff out there. Well, Terry Funk told me years and years ago, in the 90s, if not even maybe late 80s, that there was one of those old two-inch reels, video reels, of Dory Funk Sr. and Cyclone Negro in that Texas death match. And he said, I said, Terry, where? Oh, corny, I think it was in somebody's garage. And I'm, oh my God. And I obviously, after all this time, if it was going to, if it was there, it would be in public by now, one would think. But um, at one point that existed. The Jerry Jarrett had a two inch reel of the scaffold match between him and Don Green, the first scaffold match. And that, uh, you know, Teeny used to talk about it years and years ago, but. Obviously, there was, well, wait a minute. There was no way to watch it because it was, you know, one of the old reels and nobody had those machines, even the TV stations anymore. But then it surfaced in the Ron Martinez stuff when Nick Goulas's old 70s Tennessee tapes somehow ended up in the hands of, of uh, Pedro Martinez and then his son Ron with the film and tape company. And that's where I was able to get the transfer because they hadn't transferred those films at that point, but somehow, and I never got the story because Ron didn't know exactly who, but somehow when Nick cleaned office and threw out all that film, somebody got it and it ended up in the hands of Martinez. 
I was going to say the scaffold match footage, I didn't realize it came from two-inch tape. I thought it was a filmed match. Well, it was, it was filmed. See, here's the thing. Back in that's one of the reasons why it was so hard and it's still so hard to see arena matches from that point in time. Because what they did before video equipment was portable or, or easily portable and easily affordable, they shot the arena matches on 16 millimeter film. And that's the Mid Atlantic classics that I saved. That was all 16 millimeter film. All of the old early and mid '70s stuff that that from Tennessee was on 16 millimeter film, and then right. they would have to go and develop it real quick. But they couldn't show the film on T. They had to convert the film to tape to put it on. You see where I'm going with this? To show it on television. So yeah, no, I just didn't realize that's what the transfers were that Ron Martinez made. Well, he had the original film because it came from the office. He had the film, not just the tape. That's he my had the question. film. Wow. Okay. And he and he had film and not tape because he when I first contacted him, he was selling copies of the old Southwest TV shows and the the other stuff that his his dad had got in the in the uh, old days, right? Yeah, the Joe but Blanchard said, going out of business sale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I didn't want really any of that stuff. But he sent me a list. He said uh, the Tennessee wrestling films is what he called them. And here I see Jackie Fargo versus Al Green and this and now I'm like, what the fuck? I'll take all of those. Well, I haven't transferred those. Nobody else is interested. They're all on film. I haven't even seen them myself. Well, fuck. So it cost a. I was the one who paid for him to transfer them and put them on beta. Super beta S, uh, the super beta fucking slow speed. So it'd be the best picture quality. But, um, but he hadn't even seen him because he had the original films and nobody had given a shit at that point to ask about it. So, and I got almost everything and not quite everything because I was doing it a bit at a time because it took him a while to transfer those films anyway. But then, the last order that I made, and this was 1991, probably. He said, well, my dad, he's kind of got Alzheimer's and he went in and he rearranged the warehouse. Now I can't find anything. So I'll get back to you. And then I started Smoky Mountain Wrestling, lost track of him. He lost track of me. He ended up, he's been dead for years. And, uh, but, but yeah, that's how that stuff came to light. And some it of that was just stuff sitting in a box. And some of that stuff ended up in the hands of uh, Polish Joe Chupik and Todd Okerlund because I remember maybe a couple of years ago there was a transfer that popped up out of nowhere in HD from Chattanooga. I want to say it was Andre the Giant in Chattanooga. Yeah. And that comes from those films. So there's still stuff out there that no one's seen. But unfortunately, it's getting thinner and fewer and farther between. I'll tell you what, it's stressful. It's stressful. A lot of stress on you when you're trying to find these lost items, these lost videos and everything. But stress is a thing that we all go through, Brian. You know, it's like a heaviness. I've mentioned this before. You wake up every morning. It's like hanging over you. You go, hi, heaviness. But you know what? Now there's a way that you can help with your stress. Burnout is the result of stress. Did you know this, Brian? Burnout. You get stressed, then you get burnout. It naturally follows along. 
Sounds You've great. heard about this. I've heard about this, of course. Whether you're working too much, not taking enough time for yourself, not shampooing the carpets. And if that's the case, then you can tell by the symptoms, lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, the the idea that you'd like to go out and strangle somebody until their eyeballs pop out of their head and their britches fill up, all these things. Because life can be overwhelming. You can be burned out without even knowing about it. But right now, the folks at BetterHelp can help you with burnout because they want you to prioritize yourself. Talking with somebody can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. If if you're cheered up by listening to me and Brian, then imagine if you could talk to somebody and they'd actually talk directly back to you. They wouldn't be as entertaining as me and Brian, but they might be more helpful. And right now, folks, BetterHelp is offering customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anybody on camera. You don't have to go out in public. You can do it right from the comfort and privacy of your own abode. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. You can get matched up with a therapist in under 48 hours, start communicating, and find out whether a sounding board will help you de-stress your situation and prioritize yourself pay more attention to the things that matter the most. And right now, our listeners, that's you people. I knew you'd come in handy sooner or later. You guys can get 10% off your first month services at betterhelp.com slash J-C-E. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash J-C-E, 10% off your first month services. Brian, there's no need for all this stress in people's lives. All they need to do is open up and communicate, talk, a little a little verbal intercourse going back and forth. And everybody needs a little back and forth intercourse, right? Unless you're an executive in WWE, right? Exactly. Speaking of better help, NXT needs to get some. Good help is hard to find these days, Brian. <laughs> Would you like to hear... We used to watch NXT, and we actually used to enjoy it a little bit more than the rest of the WWE's program. So they put a stop to that, by cracky. No enjoyment is going to be foisted off on the viewing public while they're in charge. I just want to read you the results from NXT television this past Tuesday night. I didn't watch it. I just read the results. That was enough for me. Would you like to hear what happened? on this nationally televised program that not many people are watching these days, Brian? Uh, I wouldn't like to, but let's hear about it. I forgot. <laughs> you know, I don't even think about this show anymore. It's like an afterthought. For the Tag Team Championship, Julius and Brutus Creed defeated Malik Blade and Idris Enough. That is the name of Idris Enough. Next match. He's a big fan of Enough's Enough. Enough's Enough. The, I'm not even having to make up these names, by the way. Fallon Henley defeated <laughs> Fallon <laughs> Henley, Don's daughter, defeated Tiffany Stratton. Wes Lee beat Zion Quinn. The Dyad which is apparently the illegitimate offspring of Diana Nyad. I don't know. The Dyad 
defeated Dante Chin and Javier Bernal. For the NXT title, Breaksteiner, who looks like a diamond in a sea of cow pies here, defeated Duke Hudson very handily. Giovanni Vinci defeated Guru Raj. I am not making this shit up. Giovanni Vinci defeated Guru Raj. Carmelo Hayes and his friend Trick beat Troy Donovan and Channing Lorenzo because apparently fucking Troy Donahue and Channing Tatum were busy. And in six-woman tag team action, Indy Hartwell, Cora Jade, and Roxanne Perez beat Mandy Rose, Gigi Allen, and Jane Wayne Gacy, the Toxic Attraction Girls. That was a television program that aired this week. What the f- The only one that passes my name test is Guru Raj. <laughs> I mean, Steiner is the biggest money future superstar in the business right now. And he is surrounded by the romper room of all wrestling rosters. If any of these people were someone before they got there, they've changed their name. So you don't know who they are or that they've been anybody, but most of these people, I'd like to remind you, haven't ever been anybody. Did you ever see Caddyshack 2? Unfortunately. Yeah, it's unfortunately, a horrible once, movie. It's a horrible movie. But the, well, I saw it because I saw Caddyshack, the original Caddyshack, 11 times. So I went to see two and stopped there. And it's a very disappointing experience, especially if you've seen number one, which is one of the great comedies of all time. But if you remember the stuffy people of Bushwood, were upset because Jackie Mason turned it into an amusement park. And they're still trying to play their golf and there's roller coasters and clowns and all sorts of... Randy Quaid. I mean, all sorts of crazy yeah. things happening. That must be what Paul Levesque feels like when he <laughs> watches NXT. It's just become an amusement park of a wrestling show. What is this crap? The lights, the names. It used to be only the women had names like generic porn stars. Now it's the guys, too. Horrible. All those names you said, none of them, you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. Not one of them sounds interesting. And I know you shouldn't base things on that, the sounds interesting test, but it's just names, just random names, like a computer generated them. The idea of having stars is that they will, people will recognize the name and say, oh, I want to see him play, or I want to see him fight, or I want to see him sing, or I want to see him do whatever the fuck it is that we know that the guy by that name does. But besides the fact that they change the names of all the people that they sign to names that have never been heard of before and have never even actually been acknowledged as names before, so you, if they did have fans from the independents, you don't know who the fuck they are now. And honest and and by the way, at the at the normally I would say, well, for the sake of national TV and the greater good, who cares what they've done on the independents? But since, to be honest, some of the independents have more buzz than NXT does now, and NXT is not setting the world on fire with viewers, every little bit might help. So, but then most of these poor downtrodden individuals are going straight into wrestling school and they're being given names 
that nobody would ever remember, care about, think of what Idris enough, Malik Blade, Javier, Javier Bernal. It's J A V I E R. Is that Javier? Javier. Javier? Yeah. B E R N A L. Is that like a sauce, Bernays sauce, Bernal sauce? It's a cheese, I think. How many of those names would work in the main event of WrestleMania? John Cena versus Guru Raj. See, that works. How about The Undertaker versus Giovanni Vinci? <laughs> so they need more help. It's too bad. <laughs> Is this the end of the better help? <laughs> they need better help. They need more help. They need some kind of hired help. It's too bad that they don't have any qualified, talented wrestlers that are over with the people that the fans recognize by name that can sell them some tickets, draw them some money. Oh, wait, I forgot. They've got some of those. They release most of them. They just fired a bunch of them that uh, AEW picked up so they could have some. And now am I hearing what is the status here? Have they finally cut bait on Sasha Banks since after the walkout? And it's being reported she possibly has been given her release? That's the issue. It's been reported. I have a, an article here from comicbook.com, which has a... Well, they'd, they'd have all the inside scoops. Well, what's a bigger comic book than WWE? And they have a tweet here from someone named Raj Girl, and Raj says that... Wait a I'm, minute. I thought it was Guru Raj. Is this Guru? It's Guru Raj. He's tweeting news now. This is how he got a job in NXT. I'm hearing Sasha Banks has been released. I don't know... It's he requested it. I think he means if she requested it or if it was on WWE's end. But no one else has been able to confirm it, I don't believe. So the story's out there. He's saying it. WWE has not confirmed it. No one from Sasha Banks' team has confirmed it. She's got a team? Everyone has a team. Come on, she's got a team. See, she's Sasha, Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks? Sasha I've got Banks. a guy. I don't have a team. I got a guy. All right, well, so that's really the news. The, there's a rumor that she's been released, but no one else. I mean, even you mean that, there's a rumor going around the town that they don't want her around? She can't shake off those WWE blues? Everywhere she turns, she loses. Hey, let me ask you this. Is there a better time to be a woman looking for a release from WWE than right now? <laughs> I understand it's very profitable when you get separated from that organization. And you're of the female persuasion. We'll talk about that here in a little while. But basically, what, what about Naomi? What did Naomi ever do? Actually, I haven't heard anything about Naomi. I don't know what's going on. Wait, there are no know, Naomi rumors, unfortunately. In, uh, in all honesty, we can joke about this. But here's the thing. If they have indeed, and we don't know this to be true, but if they have released Sasha, they may be thinking that, well, Sasha can go and make movies or whatever. And I mean, they, we, that doesn't mean that she's been released and is free to go to any other wrestling promotion. She's doing movies, she's doing acting, whatever. Maybe they think, well, poor Naomi. She just got caught up in the 
in the tide of emotions and took off with her partner, maybe we can get her back because she ain't got any movie parts coming up or something. Well, I have here another tweet reporting on this news by Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful.com. Always listen to a Sapp. I spoke with Raj this afternoon and asked which, WWE... Which, which one, Guru? I think he's talking about the Guru who uh, tweeted out the thing about Sasha, the rumor. I spoke with Raj this afternoon and asked WWE about this. As of this evening, they said they hadn't heard that and talent relations didn't seem to know. Not saying that it didn't or isn't happening, but this is what I've heard so far when I asked. Raj has good sources. <laughs> and that's uh, where we leave it. Well, that's why they call her, that's why they call him Guru-mer. Guru-mer Raj. Guru-mer Raj. <laughs> Well, there we go. A good new nickname from the show. Well, you know, Brian, what you got to do is is when you're when these things, these these stories are fast moving like this, you got to you got to stay mobile. You got to stay mobile, be able to pivot and move in the direction of the stories and the news take us. And if you want to stay mobile, I know the best way to do that. You know the best way to do that, Brian, how to stay mobile, how to be easily able to move from place to place and circumstances well, dictate it you've got to have a good vehicle and good working condition is what you got to do or lawyers guns and money well it's probably easier and cheaper to have a vehicle in good condition whether your vehicle is a car or a truck or a motorcycle or a bicycle or a unicycle or a tank or any type of amphibious vehicle whatever it is if it's if it's got a motor and wheels on it then you need to go to rockauto.com to keep that thing running properly because they have all the parts that your car will ever need or truck or bike, etc. With an amazing selection and reliably low prices. How, you may ask, how do they do this? Year after year, time after time, that's because rockauto.com is not like one of these traditional chain storefronts. They don't have just a few parts that they can stock because they don't have room or they don't have the the ability to do it because of their overhead. RockAuto.com, out in the nebulous universe of the internet, at some place, possibly on a Pacific island, possibly on the space shuttle, they have hidden and assembled every single car and truck part that's ever been manufactured, and they've got them there, and they are waiting for you to order via the incredible witchery of the internet where they will immediately have one of their robot drones pull that part stick it in a box and send it to you for much less money than that fat bastard with a beard will charge you at your local brick and mortar shop that's about the way it happens you just go to rockauto.com you pick out anything you want you press the button some fucking robot drone somewhere on <laughs> Neptune That's not how pulls this thing off a shelf no. and sticks it in a tube and they shoot it in your direction. It lands in your front yard, smoking and steaming from re-entry, and then you take it out of the box. Be careful not to burn yourself and put it on your vehicle. RockAuto.com doesn't require a membership or an account login. Just any old bastard can just wander right onto this website. Or seemingly they don't require truth in advertising. Based they on don't require this. anything. <laughs> you just show up at rockauto.com 
look for a part that looks like it's shaped like what you want, and you purchase it for very little money, and they get it to you. Boy, just be careful. The day that they deliver things, don't stand out in the front yard without looking up because it might hit you on the head. Anyway, again, if you go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, be sure. Do not make this mistake. Do not leave that website without writing JCE in the how did you hear about us box. So they know that despite the fact that we're maligning their products, we're doing them a service of some description. And in turn, they will hopefully continue to do a service for us. And we all like to be serviced. Folks, whether it's your car or your crotch or whatever, you like it to be serviced. Will you stop? Just get back to I'm stopping right now. <laughs> Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Stop. All right. There you go. Well, Jim, do you have your ear to the ground about anything else happening in wrestling? I do. Funny that you should mention that. You should mention that my ear has been to the ground because I'll have you know that they were not able to telecast uh, Max Caster and the Acclaimed on their award-winning AEW Dynamite program this past Wednesday night. They were too busy running off 300,000 viewers. But apparently... Mr. Castor did make an entrance on one of their other programs because several of the Cult of Cornet members who enjoyed my recitation of Mr. Castor's rap from last week wanted me to do it again. And they sent me the rap in question from his entrance in whatever, I don't know, YouTube program they've consigned Mr. Castor to this past week. Would you like to hear what he said? Yeah, because obviously uh, he wasn't on the show this week. I didn't know what show he would be on. I knew it would probably be on one of the ones I don't watch. So curious what his rap was. Last week, me- last week it was rather tame. Well, yeah, but can you give me a beat? Can you give me like the boom, boom, I'm not good at that. I'm not going to do that. I don't want Can you not do that? You don't, you don't have any musical ability. That's what you're saying. You can't carry a tune. You have no rhythm. Hold on, hold on. Jesus. Or if I had my synthesizer over here, I'd be able to do that. Hold on. I'll give Uh you a beat with this. I'll give you a beat with this. There you go. Just keep doing that. Keep going. Yo, yo, listen. I got to find the right place to jump in. Keep doing that. Listen, acclaimed and the guns, yo, we back up in the mix. Got more people hearing me than January 6th. Honestly, I have something to say, but somebody (laughs) made me sign an NDA. (laughs) Did he know how well the timing would be on that? Yo, Yo, you give me my beat. I thought you were done. I didn't realize you were smoking. No, no, there's more. See, now listen, but somebody made me, oh, as was, was the previous line, we gonna kill you so casual makes sense St. Louis is the murder capital, and let me hit you with a factoid, everybody loves the acclaimed and the ass boys. Yo! All right. 
You know, you're the first person I've met who has the rap stylings of Jackie Stallone. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I thought you were going to say the rap stylings of Jackie Mason. That might be better than Jackie Stallone, to be yeah, quite honest with you. probably done pretty good, you know. He would have fit right into the beginning of Glow. He did give Ed Sullivan the finger one night, so you got that going for you. Well, then he got kicked off the show for a while. Yeah. He claimed he didn't do it. He claimed it was just they were wrapping him up. They gave him the one finger sign. He, oh, what, this finger or that finger or whatever. Well, he claimed that, and I'd like to apologize to the fans of the acclaimed for what we just did. Nevertheless, would you like to go into a little AEW before we talk about the big wrestling news this week? Can I say something before we start? Ah, I wish you would. This was maybe the worst episode of AEW Dynamite I've ever seen. I know I've said that a few times, but this one, even I, someone who reads the newsletters, someone who knows who these guys are, who has watched some of these guys, even I had enough of New Japan by the end of this. I don't want to see more of them on a pay-per-view. I want them to go away. They're ruining the show. But all of all the New Japan guys, there's only two that were Japanese. We need Punk and MJF back. This is horrible. This is the worst show without them. Hey, I'll take Adam Cole back at this point. Hey, listen, you know what? All seriousness, I wouldn't take Adam Cole back at this point. <laughs> uh, but all seriousness, we've seen the stuff on the show when Cody was there and how that helped. And we've seen Punk and MJF. And now we've seen without those guys there what the show looks like. And it's Tony Khan... His worst impulses about this stuff or his worst feelings about wrestling. And the show has just been, the last few weeks have been rough. But notwithstanding a great Dax Harwood match. Yeah. And Will Ospreay, too. He deserves credit, too. Notwithstanding a great match, from the second that match ended on, it was awful. And that was the only redeemable thing on the whole show was that match. Well, and actually, you know... <sighs> If I, I am not the only person, okay, I might be the only person in the AEW fan universe, but I'm not the only person in the actual real legitimate world who not only didn't know who all those people were, but might have started liking one or two of those people until I saw them do more shit. <laughs> And then not only was this a bunch of strange people, but this was a bunch of people that a couple of whom I might have liked until I saw what they did with them. So he's taking new, fresh talent, putting them on television and making people less interested in them than they would have been normally. That's not exactly the hallmark of classic booking. It's not really the the point you were trying to go for when you'd put people on your, let's see if I can make people not like these motherfuckers. Not as in a heel, but as in, I don't want to see these people. Uh, He's done that with Adam Cole, too, by the way. Well, yeah, you, you can tell who the people were that were holding him down, going, focus on this. This is my segment. I'm not going out there to look like an idiot. Because those people wasn't on this show. They opened with the hair versus hair match. I know that somebody... For... One week, who was it that tried to cut fucking whose hair or whatever? And, oh, let's have a hair versus hair match. Ortiz cut a few locks off Jericho's weave about two weeks yeah. ago, maybe. What long-running issue has been between Jericho and Ortiz that the hair needed to be the focal point? Or did somebody with a little, just a little touch of ADD say, oh, we haven't had a hair match. 
let's have a hair mask. Maybe Ortiz wants a new look. Maybe well, he was diagnosed with the mange or lice. That's what I was going to say. If a wrestler has lice, is it their responsibility to tell the promoter so they could do something with their hair? I'd, I've actually had a couple of guys over 40 years come to me and say, hey, I'm going to cut my hair. You want to do something? But to just, to just, okay, we'll do something. It doesn't have to make any sense and we'll shoot it in one week and nobody cares. What the fuck? I don't, but a hair versus hair match. Ortiz comes out with Kingston in his corner, one guy. Jericho comes out with the entire group of appreciators, four guys in his corner. And Ortiz is still wearing the panda makeup. It is, is it a Puerto Rican or Hispanic or street gang, New York street gang thing to paint your face white like a panda bear? In the movie Warriors, maybe, but I have not seen that, you know, on the streets of, uh, you know, Bushwick or anything. Okay, so they jump-started, with a, uh, went 100 miles an hour, fought, fought on the floor, fought in the aisle. Uh, at one point, Jericho went for a hurricane and run off the top, and Ortiz apparently was supposed to powerbomb him, because that's what happened, but it looked dangerous. I'm thinking, where is Santana? His, the guy's tag team partner is not in his corner, but Eddie Kingston is. Jericho gave Ortiz a vertical suplex off the apron to the floor. So, I mean, Jericho's taking the bump, too. I know they did it safely and landed flat, but why a TV match? Uh, they worked hard. It, You know, it wasn't a stinky match. I just don't understand why they were having it. And finally, Jericho gets the walls of Jericho Ortiz gets a rope break, and immediately one of the Jericho appreciators starts to try to put the guy's foot off the rope because he got the rope break, and Kingston attacks them, and all four of them jump on Kingston. Here comes Santana and Yuta. Which group is Yuta in? He's in the Blackpool Combat Club. Then why did he come down to help Ortiz and Santana and Kingston? For the same reason that William Regal was randomly on commentary here. I think because there's a association between the Blackpool Combat Club and anyone who has ever gotten into a fight on the streets of New York. Okay, then when Santana ran down and Yuta was with him, couldn't Santana have, since he's Ortiz's tag team partner, since he's in the building, have been there instead of Kingston from the start? Because wouldn't it? But I don't know. Or at least both or, of them out there would have made or perfect both sense. both of them, since there was four guys on the other. I do, that's what, because it wasn't the spot where then when the Jericho appreciators interfered, then here was Santana and Yuta would run down. So having that spot trumped, making it make sense. So anyway, while they're all fighting, Kingston jumps in and hits his back fist on Jericho. Ortiz covers him. One, two, he kicks out huge pop. They thought that was it. If that had been the three count, they probably would have elected Ortiz, the mayor of fucking town. But instead, Hager and Kingston get in a fight. The referee's with them. Here comes what, the job guy's name, Filet of Soul, right? The the Fago del Solo, the, the goofy little outlaw guy in the yellow and red outfit. 
and he comes in and takes the baseball bat and why they do this, I don't know, but he takes the baseball bat. And of course you can't hit somebody in the head with a full swing with a baseball bat. So instead he cups the hitting end in his hand and he takes the other end in his other hand and he awkwardly misses Ortiz in the head with the baseball bat that nobody would hit that way and Jericho covered him one, two, three. But then Fago unmasks and it's Sammy Guevara. Sammy and Jericho are back together, those star-crossed crazy kids. So now, how many people is Jericho going to have in this group now? Count them up. Hager. Is Ty Conti technically in the group now? Well, I guess because she, she's attached to Guevara. Can't separate them with a crowbar. So you got Santana, you got, or not Santana, but you got Sammy. You got Ty. You got Hager. You got Mac Daddy Daddy Mac. You got Cool Hand Luke. You got, I'm forgetting somebody. Garcia. Danny Garcia. Garcia. And so then, obviously now Ortiz has to have his head shaved because he lost the match. And they've got a the, who they called the barber in the ring. Obviously, the barber was some outlaw fuck. Did you see them? What <laughs> barber would you go to that looked like that with a fucking man bun and a striggy beard and fucking long, unkempt hair? And so Ortiz... Now, now that's something you'll see in Bushwick. Well, all right, maybe it was a Bushwick barber, but he didn't let him do it because Ortiz got the clippers and his Kingston is cutting the promo and Ortiz, he's going to shave his own head because he's a man, right? Well, he's fucking, he's got not only the, the dreadlocks, but he started cutting them off with scissors, but then he starts hacking with the fucking electric trimmers at those dreadlocks and they're tight knots and he's gigging himself just he started bleeding yeah he's Ugh. gigging himself trying to get the hair off with the uh, and it just what the fuck why do that to to somebody okay i mean even if he wanted to shave his head sit down and walk through this okay how can it make sense how can we build to this how can we have a main event on the TV show where a baby face doesn't look stupid. And instead of cutting the hair off himself, when all he's doing is turn his head into hamburger meat, then they could have actually had a real barber hair person whatsoever. And he could say, no, no, no. Cause people are going, no, no, don't sit down. Don't get your hair cut. You got screwed. No, I'm man enough to honor my obligations. That's more than I can say for Jericho. And I'll sit in this chair and I'll let this guy cut my hair. And Chris Jericho, every hair that falls off my head is going to be a fist that I put in your face. And sit there and let the guy do it in one minute and see it. Because they had a hair match. And the fans didn't see anybody. He cut off two dreadlocks and gigged himself. And then they go to the break and they come back later on. He runs out. He's completely slick, bald like an egg. So the fans didn't even get to see the head shaving. Nobody knows how this works. 
They just come up with random ideas and nobody's walking through it to tell them the problems. They're going to manifest themselves. Same thing happened to me. Try, I didn't have dreadlocks, but I had a lot of hair back then and it was the middle of goddamn a Louisiana summer in New Orleans and my head was like somebody turned a bucket over me and that fucking trimmer mired down and wouldn't goddamn cut my fucking hair. Shit like that can happen. But walk through the thing. Think about it. Visualize what's going to happen. Does it make sense that my tag team partner runs down only after I've been at a four against one disadvantage for whatever? Are the tremors going to work? How should we do this promo? What? It's like they just have an idea or two and they just let the rest take care of itself when they're out there. But that wasn't as bad as what was next. Did you have any other comments? Well, everyone knows what I think of Jericho and his work. He's like a vampire. He surrounds himself with as much young blood as he can. <laughs> and he just increases the uh, amount of bodies every week. Santana and Ortiz have been misused for a long time. And the other problem is Jericho burns through things that can mean something just because he thinks they're cool and he convinces Tony of it, even though it's dumb. For instance, just randomly throwing fireballs, because now all of a sudden he's a wizard. And then... Oh, yeah. Do you hear the promo? Hey, I might throw a fireball in your face because I'm a wizard. Yeah. Try to throw a fireball at MVP. See how that works, Jericho. <laughs> but, you know, it's like that. And then like a hair match. Just, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we just have a hair match as the next step of this thing to build up to the next match? I don't know. It's just bad book. Everything with Jericho is the worst book shit on the show. And he was all over this show. It was total nonstop Jericho this week. But I disagree with you. Everything with Jericho was not the worst booked stuff on the show because that came up next. They actually did something right for once and got a guy over that had not been seen before their television. Wardlow is the only guy. Think about this. Is this the only guy that, that, that was never seen on anybody's television before that they've got that actually is making a difference and could make a difference and get, is getting the response of a main event fucking level guy. In the last several months, it has been clear that Wardlow was a guy they could have as their biggest homegrown babyface star by far. Yeah. I mean, MJF had been on MLW TV, but Wardlow had not been on anything. They debut him and he gets over and they can't be having that shit. <laughs> so now they, that MJF is not around to smell test this shit, they're going to kill Wardlow. A fake people's court video complete with the music, a fake setup for Wardlow against 20 nameless goofs that's supposedly ordered by a court case brought by a fake lawyer that's not in any way convincing. Whoever's idea any of this was should be fired after Wardlow beats the shit out of them because they're fucking this guy's career up and he's their biggest, if not only, success story so far. So after the goofy fake vi people's court video, here comes Wardlow. There's 20 guys wearing security t-shirts around the ring 
And if he wins, then they will can't sue him or whatever the stipulation is. What the fuck was this? It wasn't quick enough to be funny and quick and ha-ha, okay, it's over with. At the same time, it wasn't funny because it wasn't funny, it was phony. At the same time, it exposed Wardlow as being just another guy that does stupid shit that he's told to do rather than the beast that he's been presented as. They didn't know, not only did, the announcers didn't even know how this match was working. Did you hear that? When when he knocked the first bunch off the apron, the girl ring announcers, oh, so-and-so's been eliminated. And then he would fight some more and stack them up and pin some, and they would be called as eliminated. But somebody was thrown over the top rope. Did that mean they were eliminated? What the fuck was going on here? It, it was fake, contrived shit. People were less into it the longer it went. And did you, by the end of it, it went on so long, it was so stupid and so uninteresting that by the time it was over with, he was power bombing people and the fans weren't even popping on the power bombs anymore. The only time they would pop is when he power bombed a guy on top of a bunch of other guys and people popped because it was, oh shit, that really hurt. And also you're forgetting that Wardlow seemingly was getting tired so now we're watching Wardlow get blown yes. up as this continues endlessly and he doesn't look so good when he's blown up no he doesn't at all so somehow they managed to give the people so much Wardlow powerbombing people that the people got tired of seeing Wardlow powerbombing people it was embarrassing and then he went to kill Mark Sterling, but Dan Lambert interrupts from the balcony after he's won this thing by pinning in groups or throwing people over the top in groups or whatever. He grabs Mark Sterling. He's going to kill him. Lambert interrupts from the balcony on the PA system. Okay, so I've got my hands on the one guy that's been making my life a living hell. I'm holding on to him. I can drop him on his head. But another guy that I don't like 200 feet away is on the PA system. I must instantly stop what I'm doing. And then Lambert tells Wardlow that Matt Hughes and Tyrone Woodley, two former UFC champions, are at ringside waiting to attack Wardlow. And Lambert says basically, so get him, boys. What, what is Matt Hughes's physical condition? It was the first time I've seen Matt Hughes in many years too, and that's the first thing I thought. What the hell was going on there? And then I read somewhere—I don't mean to laugh—but he was hit by a train. Oh my God! At some point, he parked his car on a train track. It may have been a suicide attempt, and a train hit him, and that's why he is the way he is. Which makes you question why he was used in this manner yes to walk up steps and go in the ring and move around the way he was and it may also makes you question why that is his friend there tyrone woodley gets up on the apron and leaps over the top rope like he's got steel springs in his legs look did it better than 90 percent of the fucking wrestlers and matt hughes can't hardly get through the ropes or stand up straight or have the use of his right arm 
And these are the guys that Lambert has said, yes, they are former UFC champions, but that's like, that would have been like fucking making fun of goddamn Muhammad Ali saying, well, he's good when he had the Parkinson's. He's going to get Muhammad Ali. He's going to come kick your ass. No. But we didn't have to worry about that because then Wardlow takes the microphone and, of course, says words that Wardlow, I'm sure, uses every day. Hey, you two guys look like some hardworking Midwesterners. What? They tried to make Wardlow a man of the people. You're just like me, hardworking Midwesterners. Are you going to let some rich asshole millionaire up there tell you what to do? Like Wardlow's going to become a man of the people here all of a sudden. Mr. S Mr. Wardlow goes to Washington. I think he's, he actually says, I think that we're cut from the same cloth. Does Wardlow look like he's going to use any of these words or phrases? No, this was Roman Reigns saying suffering succotash on SmackDown. Yeah. So Hughes and Woodley throw Sterling to Wardlow, who power bombs Sterling, and then Wardlow's trying to be nice and raise up. They're raising his hand. He's raising their arm. Poor fucking Matt Hughes has only got one arm he can raise. And this... This was an abomination, a crime against nature. It, sh it should be covered under the Anti-Bestiality Act. Poor Wardlow. It's nice knowing him. Closing thoughts on the 20-man fiasco. The match, the angle, whatever you want to call it, was awful. It made him look terrible. They had an opportunity coming out of the MJF match to book him strong, and they haven't. He should have went right over Scorpio Sky. We could have bypassed all of this. He looked bad in there after a while because how could you not after? He power bombs so many of these guys, and some of them look like they didn't even know how to go up properly. Well, no, because it's all a bunch of fucking job guys and outlaw guys, and, the th and they're running straight into, while he's got one, the other one will run straight into a clothesline by running two feet to the side of him so he can stick his arm out. And it was all obviously phony. And the other thought I had is I wish the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette were there to do some kind of angle where they crush his larynx because <laughs> Wardlow should never be on the microphone ever again. I'm sorry. He looks like a badass. He doesn't sound like a badass. And whatever words they're telling him to say don't sound natural. Are they telling him to say that because he doesn't know naturally what to say? I don't know, but I don't think he does himself any favors when he talks. No, that's, that's the problem. Not only the... The tone and the delivery and the verbiage, it just, he's, I mean, he sounds like some fucking nerd that would be sitting playing a video game on his computer instead of this big 200 and something pound beast powerbombing everybody in his path. You look like hardworking Midwesterners to me. <laughs> what was that line? Why would, that's such a weird line to give him. <laughs> Say there, fellow Midwesterner. Yes. Hey there, fellow <laughs> hardworking Midwesterners. We're cut they, from the same cloth. Some idiot <laughs> that's never been out in public thinks that that would make him a baby face to the people out there who are hardworking Midwesterners. That's an AEW crowd. I don't know if they identify themselves as Midwesterners or hardworking. Anyway, the next match was the match. It was the only match on the program. 
and one of the better wrestling matches of the week from anybody, Dax Harwood against good old Will Ostrich. And actually, yes, and I was going to do that until I saw the finish. And I said, fuck it, I'm not, I don't care. I was going to say good shit about him. They had a great wrestling match. Osprey, here's the things I wrote about Osprey, because this is the first time that I've ever seen him in a singles match. Remember, we said the sixth man from last week or whatever, I'm trying to see, okay, is this guy as good as they say he is? He didn't really do anything. So here with Dax, yes, you'd have to be a paraplegic not to be able to have a good match with Dax Harwood, but I'd be able to see something. And I wrote down, he looks good. He's got good attitude. He seemed to be serious about his wrestling. He's athletic. He's got a heel demeanor and facial expressions. And they did nice stuff. Um, He takes the big backdrop. I'm a fan of anybody taking a backdrop these days. You never see it. They did a nice heat spot, went to the break with uh, Osprey Dropkick Dax, and he took a bump into the steps. Of course, Osprey still got penalized somewhat here like all the other heels we were talking about on the show a few days ago. Every time the heel on TV for any company now stops the babyface, they go to a break, and you don't see any of the heat. They come back from the break, and the babyface starting his comeback. What a rib. But anyway, uh, Dax made the comeback, a bunch of multiple Germans, missed a diving headbutt, Osprey hit a big splash, got a two count, and they started going back and forth with big stuff and nice false finishes, different kind of sh- People were going batshit. And I wrote, this is great stuff. And I wrote two things. I wrote, Dax Harwood is the best wrestler in AEW, and Will Osprey blows... Twinkle Toes Olivier away. And if everybody was crowing about somebody being a great wrestler in Japan or whatever, it should have been this Osprey fellow instead of Twinkle Toes. But then Osprey hits some kind of running elbow thingy to the back of Dax's head and beat him one, two, three. They did multiple things in this match that looked so much better for a finish. But okay, again, the problem now is Dax is one of the best, if not the best wrestler on the AEW roster, which means he's now being penalized by losing every single match they put him in. And somebody's going to say, well, the tag team guys are supposed to lose to the top singles guys. Yeah, dipshits. If the tag team guy has any credibility at all, which has not been instilled in both FTRs, Cash or Dax, to the level it should have been. And we have not seen, have we seen Dax Harwood win one single, single match? Not that I'm aware, and we've seen him I in guess anybody. No, I don't think so. So that's the little detail that people forget. Yes, when Bobby Eaton wrestled Ric Flair... Then Flair would go over because Bobby's the best tag team. Flair's the world champion single guy. But they ignore that Bobby as a team and individually had a name and a reputation and multiple wins over multiple type of people. They're penalizing Dax because he's the best worker so he can have a good match with everybody. So anybody they want to get over, they put him in the ring with Dax. Which this wouldn't be bad since they were 
saying that Osprey is a top guy in New Japan and just a world beater as a single, okay, so a top guy came in and beat a guy that we are trained to think is one of the top guys. He's a tag team champion, not the real champions, the AEW champions, but champion of a, another company that the owner bought. They've at least been featured in main events, so Osprey must be a main event guy because he was brought in against another top guy and he beat him in a good match. So that means to my innocent, untrained eyes as a fan who's never seen or heard of Will Osprey before, now I've seen him and I know how to take him. He's a main event guy and he's pretty good. Until the match is over. And then suddenly Osprey wins. There's no reason to continue kicking the shit out of Dax. But suddenly, Jeff Cobb, Fletcher and Davis, what are their other names? <laughs> I can't remember. The new guys that jumped in last the week. The great O'Conn. <laughs> well, no, I thought these two guys were, were uh, um, Ozzy Oldham, but they're a team called Aussie Open, but their names are Fletcher and Davis. And then another guy named Great O'Conn. Jump in and start kicking the shit out of Dax. So then here comes Cash and Rocky Romero. They jump in and they start fighting for whatever reason. And you can't tell anybody apart because we've never seen half these people before and all of them are in street clothes. And then suddenly, music plays and it's pockets. Brian, your prognostication was correct. They had to interject him in this ostrich business just to make sure that I would have, in the end, nothing good to say about Will Ostrich. So now the music plays, and here comes this fucking denim-clad slug walking, ambling down the entranceway, and everybody, and there's ten grown men in the ring, and they all stop fighting and start staring at the guy. Why? What does he ever do to anybody? When he comes and gets in the ring, he doesn't do anything to you. Why would you stop? There's five of them and this guy. And then by the time Pockets gets to the ring, everybody having this 10-man riot have disappeared except for Ostrich, who's still standing in the ring with a dumbfounded look on his face. And he stands there and lets Pockets walk in the ring and walk a circle around him and stand there and stare at him. And nobody's doing anything. And then the baby faces come back in, Dax and Cash and Romero, and there was another one. And they stand behind Pockets, and Osprey jumps out on the floor with all the heels that are just standing on the floor staring at the other guys. They all went from having a riot to standing there waiting on a fucking bus. And nobody said a goddamn word. And then, if, have I seen this correctly? A match on the pay-per-view coming up in what weekend after next is Will Osprey, this big new Japan star, supposedly... According to what Uncle Dave used to say, the greatest wrestler in the world till Dave fell in love with Twinkle Toes. 
and they've just given him a big debut in a single match over one of AEW's top guys. And now he's going to fight a preliminary comedy mascot on the show that people have to pay for. So now we have the idea that Will Ostrich is just some middle card guy that does the joke matches. And that's where he's going. So why am I now interested? What happened here, Brian? As I said at the top, the issue with Dynamite this week was, in many cases, it was Tony Khan's worst impulses on display. Dax had a great match with Will Ospreay. I like Will Ospreay. And the post-match immediately changed the tone. Everyone hits the ring. People still don't know who the fuck Rocky Romero is. We're supposed to just accept now that he's there. That's the thing with AEW. So you see someone... And then they just start running in with other guys, and you're supposed to just accept, oh, I guess they're now friends with those people. So I don't think people really cared about that. There are certainly people there who like New Japan and are ready to pop for the New Japan guys, because when someone like Will Ospreay comes out of he's getting a reaction, that's who is giving him a reaction. But even those fans, after a while, you're just watching people who have never been on this show do angles, participate in brawls, and we know we're not going to see most of them again after, like, whatever, the pay-per-view. In three weeks, they're all going to be gone. So it's just this weird period for the show. But if it, if it, baby, and, then, every- and then Orange Cassidy, look, I told you Orange Cassidy was going nowhere. He had no fear of going anywhere because Tony Khan loves him. And this is the problem. Will Ospreay gets a win over Dax? Yeah, Dax should have more wins. It should mean more. But Ospreay still gets a win on TV in a great match against one of the tag team champions. And then you're going to put him in a match with Orange Cassidy at the pay-per-view. To the AEW hardcore fan, that's the greatest thing ever. They get to see Orange Cassidy. He does this thing where he pretends to kick the guy, and then he does another thing where all of a sudden in the middle of the match, he turns into a wrestler. They can't wait for that. But to the average person, it's going to make Will Ospreay look like a dipshit having a competitive match with this fucking gimmick. And that's what I'm saying. You bring this guy in... And people are thinking he's supposedly the greatest wrestler in the world. And then you put him in a comedy match with some dipshit where he's going to look like a jack off. And, and you've wasted that. Then anybody that didn't already know who Will Osprey was, which is the majority of people, is going to say, well, he's another fucking goof. <laughs> yeah. Just because the owner wants to dress up like this guy on Halloween. We got, okay, so anyway, the point is they've now told us no plans for Ostrich, he's on the card, nothing to get excited about, who gives a shit? So that's the way I'm going to treat him from now on. If if a guy's, he comes into company and the first person he gets is fucking pockets. Fuck, that's what killed Cole. And I liked Cole beforehand, I had no opinion about Ostrich, so it could have gone either way. He got over with me, and then his boss finished him off. What were you going to say? What was I going to say? I don't know. Did you like the face-to-face? What the fuck was this? What? Who thought that it was going to be a good idea to sell this pay-per-view match by having Moxley 
stand in the ring and browbeat his opponent who had no answer whatsoever and no rebuttal and looked like a parking attendant. And then Moxley repeated himself. Several times. <laughs> it, 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 okay, Tanahashi, right? He's one of their top guys. I will bet you $100 cash American money, Brian Last, that that was not his suit. They found us. No, I didn't even think of that. They found a suit. They said, well, we got to have this guy. What could he have come in that this they felt was a better way to present him on national television? What could he have been dressed in before they said, no, wear this? Tanahashi, the big New Japan star, comes out for a face to face with John Moxley in the ring. And they both get in the ring and stare at each other. There is no interviewer, and one of the people doing the face-to-face apparently does not speak English. So Moxley gets the microphone and stands there and just browbeats Tanahashi. He's chased him everywhere. He's chased him in in New Japan, and he's chased him on the bullet train, and he's looked in cars and in bars. (laughs) I knew it. I knew you were. And here you are. And Tanahashi is standing there. He's allegedly the top star of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he's in a not a poorly fitting suit, in somebody else's suit that was not at all built or sewn for a person of this size or body type. It's so wrinkled, it looks like somebody's been carrying it around in their wallet and just took it out for him to put on. He's got multicolored tennis shoes and a t-shirt on underneath this fucking blousy elephant coat. And he looks like an extra in a Raymond Chow Kung Fu movie. And this is how that they expect to get an unknown Japanese superstar over to an American audience. He comes out looking like an explosion in a Salvation Army drop box stands there while Moxley browbeats him and fucking dresses him down verbally for minutes at a time while he stands there with no rebuttal and no microphone in his hand. And Moxley's having a meltdown. And finally, as Tanahashi takes the microphone, Judas plays. (laughs) And here comes Jericho and Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti. And Jericho is saying, to Moxley, that he should have that spot. He should be wrestling the fucking unkempt Japanese fellow in the ring standing there. And Tanahashi finally speaks and says, Jeko, shut up! And that was it. That's all he said. And Jericho says, well, Get them, boys! And all of his Jericho appreciators again run out from the back. But as they're jumping in the ring, Lance Archer and some fucking fella named Desperado. Have we ever seen Desperado before on this television program? I'm not certain. I've heard the song. I hate the song. Desperado? It's the worst Eagle song. But not when Terry Funk used it as that was the music. worst usage of it ever. I, I oh, hate come Paul on. Heyman for that. That was the worst usage of it. 
Terry Funk should not be coming out to a slow love song to Cowboys. It's not a love song. It's a love song to Cowboys. Glenn Fry. You got to come to your senses. You've been out riding fences for so long now. Anyway, somebody needs to come to their senses because Lance Archer and Desperado jumped in the ring from behind. And then the Jericho appreciators hit from the, there was nine guys in the ring in street clothes fighting. And you couldn't tell who anybody was. And while the fight's going on, Jericho introduces Sammy and Ty as the new members of the Jericho appreciators. And I swear to God, while it was, was old Tanahashi, he was getting the shit kicked out of him in his, in his wrinkled suit while Jericho was rattling off, it's either a six-man tag or an eight-man tag for the pay-per-view with him and the Suzuki goons and a bunch of names that I, he couldn't even hardly pronounce, but I couldn't understand it and never heard before. Well, some of the job guys are still kicking some of the other job guys. And Jericho's plugging this. And then suddenly, here comes Kingston and Santana and Ortiz with the bald head. And they hit the ring and start fighting. And Tanahashi does some kind of move to somebody. And that's the only thing that he did or said in the offensive. It was offensive, all right. In this whole segment. So now everybody in the United States of America thinks Tanahashi is a superstar, right? They're like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck was this? Remember I said a few weeks ago on the show that I was convinced that maybe Tony Khan was trying to kill the Hardys? I'm convinced Tony Khan may be trying to kill New Japan in America. Because there are fans in New Japan who are not looking forward to this pay-per-view. I don't understand how anyone would really want to see this pay-per-view. It's been built up horribly. Just random people running out and being named all the time. Jericho... You can't even say anything about him. Excalibur just throws a million names jumbled together at you. You have yeah. no idea what he's talking about. And then he just starts citing things that are irrelevant to anything happening. This pay-per-view will probably do well because AEW fans purchase AEW products. But the buildup and booking to this pay-per-view has been atrocious. I wish I didn't have to watch it. More than any other pay-per-view AEW has done. Wait this a minute, is the are we going to watch this fucking thing? This is the one I have the least interest in. We got to watch it. I thought we, we got to watch the Suzuki goons and Guadalajara Tanahashi. Boy, no Danielson, no punk, no MJF. This show, no Cody. Let's just say that too. This show feels it. This show is so bad. And hopefully Tony Khan learns from this because he wants this new Japan pay-per-view to be an annual thing. I heard him say, yeah. <laughs> These shows leading up to this pay-per-view make me hate New Japan and not want to see it anymore. It's ruining the show. Well, and also, I even know, I, I know two names from New Japan that they're, they're native guys, the Japanese fellows, not the Americans. I know the Tanahashi and Okada are the big deals. And so far, they've made Tanahashi look worse than fucking Dick to go and Taka Michinoku, and whatever. That's what we used to call him, Dick to go. So anyway, let's, let's speed this up a little bit. Next match, Miro against the other page. Who's the heel here? The guy that wants to evict God or the guy with the heel manager? Miro won. 
Britt Baker versus Tony Storm. They started 100 miles an hour with a hockey fight, went to the floor and stayed there. They got in the ring and did one spot, and then the heels pulled Tony Storm back out to the floor. But Thunder Rosa ran out and chased Jamie Hayter off, and they went to the break. And when they came back, I forgot to. Tony Schiavone was in the back with Stokely Carmichael and Willow Nightingale, and they did a little comedy bit. At least Willow has a little personality. What were you going to say? I just wanted to say Tony Storm did an interview before the match. It was actually a really, really good interview. It was one of the better interviews that any of the women in AEW have ever done, I think. They should have put it on earlier in the program. It was getting really late at this point. Hangman Page, in-ring promo. He wants Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP title. And again, I'm not thinking about the 700,000 people watching this program. I'm thinking about the 349,300,000 people left over in the United States of America that if any of them turned this on and said, he wants who? Kazuchika Okada. But he might not still be the champion. Oh, wait, he's not. <laughs> he lost it last weekend. And Page actually said he challenged last week Okada for the IWGP title, but he forgot that he might not be the champion, and he's not. He lost it last weekend, but the challenge still stands. Now, they never said whether it was the challenge to Okada or the challenge to the new champion, which challenge still stands. Because by that time, Adam Cole had come out, and he reveals that the new champion is old Jay Slingblade White, his good friend. And if anybody is going to get a title shot at the IWGP title, it's going to be me, Adam Cole. Why does he want a shot at his good friend? I thought he just said they were good friends. So why does he want to fight his good friend? And what has he done to earn a title shot? And by the way, did you notice the fans? Hey, they may still like to pop for a couple of moments in his song and his entrance. There's a groan now coming from AEW fans when Adam Cole comes out. They're fed up with this, too. Boom. Boom. Um, boom. So now Adam Cole clarifies that Okada will not be at Behind the Green Door pay-per-view. So that clarifies that was, was Paige still challenging Okada or was he still challenging the champion? Well, now Cole says he won't be there, but this guy will. And music plays, and in from behind, from the back door again, the for the third, or was it the fourth time tonight? Somebody ought to start watching that back door. People are slipping in. Check ticket stubs. Jay White comes from behind in street clothes, like just a fucking goof out of the crowd, like all these guys look like. Goofs out of the crowd. And he jumps in and hits some kind of move on page and then starts a promo. He has only hit one move on Adam Page. Adam Page is laying there selling. He's holding his neck. He's grimacing. You can see he's writhing in pain. He's not completely unconscious. He's selling. Jay White starts cutting a promo. And since nobody knows who the fuck he is, he has to cut a promo where he introduces himself and who he is and where he's from, New Japan Wrestling, and what he does, and continues talking 
while Paige is laying there immobile like a fucking idiot from one move. And then White starts talking to Adam Cole. I'm not going to wrestle you either. And Adam's upset. And White goes on and on while Adam Page is laying there in suspended animation. Again, nobody thinks these things through. It would have been fine if he'd have hit him with a move, took the microphone, said, I'm Jay White, and I just kicked your fucking ass. And in go. But now he stood that now Paige can't get up. See, that's the thing. You go back and watch this. Anybody in the sound of my voice, if the guy laying there had been an old-time superstar, such as a Dick Murdoch, <laughs> or anybody else for that matter, and that guy that laid them out with that one move started talking and started talking and talking and talking. If he didn't leave, they would have got up and they would have kicked his fucking ass and blown the whole program, which they wouldn't have gone through with anyway, because if the goddamn guy had stood there and talked all that time and buried him, they wouldn't have wanted to work with him to begin with. But so <laughs> Paige had delayed. Nobody's thinking these things through. He had to lay there and still be moving, still be conscious, but without the power to roll away. He doesn't, Paige does not need any help acting or looking like a fucking goof. But they just gave him some right there. That's the stupidest he's ever, did you notice that? Well, give him credit, he shoots out of the ramp with a really determined look on his face. That's it. <sighs> Yeah, and look, I mean, this is terrible. All Jay, right. Jay White's got a lot of talent. They've used him like crap. He's just another guy coming out there and introducing himself or being introduced. And I think everyone is sick of Adam Cole. And this is Adam Cole going along with things, and this is also the way he's been booked. But I don't think people want to see Adam Cole right now. Well, they didn't want to see the main event. Um, the ladder match, the three-way ladder match for the tag team title was supposed to be Jungle Boy and Dino Douche against the Hardly Boys against Matt and Jeff Hardy. But unfortunately, the only, the only team with any name value was taken out of this match because Jeff did his road raging earlier. Is that just karma, kismet? Isn't it ironic like rain on your wedding day? Jeff Hardy was scheduled to appear at Road Rager until he took matters into his own hands. Why is it Road Rager? Why is it different than any regular Dynamite? Because Tony likes names. But I mean, is there anything specific with Roads that has to do? Well, there's nothing, no, with, were, no, nothing with Roads with AEW. Excuse me. Let me correct myself there. Yes. But with highways or byways? <laughs> well, they were in St. Louis. Ah, okay. Route, Route 66 goes through St. Louis. The but, gateway to the West, of course. Uh, no, that, that, well, Fort Worth is where the West begins. That was their tagline. Um, point is, they just took the Hardys out. And did I see a report on the internet that they changed this match that originally Matt and Jeff Hardy were going to win the match and the tag team title? I but saw they had to change it. Yeah, I saw something that said that, but I'm not sure what the source was, so I can't comment too much further. Well, you can you can almost believe any preposterousness from these folks, but... And why is it when there's a ladder match, they set up tables around ringside, on the floor, all around the ring? 
What does that have to do with a ladder match? So anyway, it was Jungle Boy and Dino Douche against the Hardly Boys in a ladder match on AEW television. You already guessed it. Yes, it was unwatchable. That's why I didn't. It's exactly the same as everything else they always do, and it's insulting then, and it would be insulting now. And I saved part of my brief period of time I have left to live to make myself happy by not watching these four jack-offs make an abortion out of the wrestling business. I understand shock and amazement. Wouldn't you know who won the pony? The Hardly Boys have once again won the AEW World Tag Team titles. And Christian Cage has turned on his adopted son, the Jungle Boy. Little, little Babu, or Sabu, or whatever his fucking name is. And that's, did you watch any of that? Why would you? Well, I did just in case you watched it and wanted to talk about it. <laughs> well, I, seriously, you thought I was going to watch these four bumblefucks in a ladder match when I've already had to watch the rest of this program. The last thing this show needs right now is more of the bucks in the focus, and if that's what this leads to, They've got a lot of problems with this show, as the ratings just showed them, but this was an atrocious episode of AEW Dynamite, and the fan reactions from what we could tell on TV, the people that are showing up, but I think the real story is the people that aren't there. There's no Danielson, there's no Punk, there's no MJF, and since those three have been gone, specifically Punk and MJF, there's been almost nothing redeemable about this show in terms of angles or promos, and we've seen a couple of good matches out of Dax Harwood, but even the matches are, it's reverting back to the worst of AEW right now. And here's the thing, again, <laughs> the WWE last year, they said, you know, AEW needs some help. We're going to fire and or alienate some of our biggest names so they can go over there and help out. And they did. And AEW still couldn't capitalize. And then <laughs> WWE's out. Oh, fuck. You know, they're still not winning this thing. We'll injure our top babyface. And down goes Cody. And AEW says, fuck you. We'll do the same thing. Now, Vince McMahon, for the first time in history, does allegedly doesn't have full control of the WWE and shit's hitting the fan in a major way. And just six, eight weeks ago, AEW television was looking up. And you had Punk, and you had FTR, and you had MJF, and let's not even talk about Danielson, how they botched his little run. And now all of those people are gone, and this is an unwinnable war. No matter what one side does to ensure the victory of the other side, the other side is going to say, fuck you. I ain't winning this thing. I'm going to suck even worse. So speaking of sucking worse, what were the ratings for this Wednesday night debacle? Where did they start and where did they finish? I'm going to see if I can find quarterly breakdowns. I don't have them currently. But the previous couple weeks of June, on June 1st, Dynamite did 969,000 viewers. On June 8th, Dynamite did 939,000 viewers. On June 15th, Dynamite did 761,000 viewers. Was this against a big 
ball game or Super Bowl or did Janet Jackson pop her tits out at the Super Bowl again? What major occurrence were they opposite that they could lose 200,000 pounds? Or was it just last week's bad television program and not wanting to see any of this? I mean, it was a big hockey game, but I don't think that's what killed this. I think a lot of this is... There was that all-night all gas station that they just opened down yeah. the street. How are you going to compete with that? But the last few episodes have been uninspiring, and there was very little announced going into the show that was inspiring, unless you're someone who loves work rate matches. And then you go, oh my God, Dax and Will Ospreay. But to the average fan, yeah, it's... One match in two hours. Yeah. So I don't... I don't think AEW's doing themselves any favors right now with that TV show, but I don't know if anyone's going to admit that there. I don't know if Tony can admit that right now. I think Tony needs to be admitted right now. But anyway, that, so that was AEW. Um, you know, <laughs> what else are they going to have to do? The WWE has bent over backwards to hand this thing to Tony Khan on a silver platter. And now I guess the only other thing left is, you know fuck are they gonna fucking put vince in a goddamn space shuttle and shoot him to the moon he's already out of the chair this is their chance this is their prime opportunity the wwe has never been so vulnerable they got a lack of talent the talent that is there hates the company the fans are turning on them because they've been an evil empire for 25 years run by an evil billionaire family that now apparently we're finding out in the news is Evil in the ring and evil outside the ring. The, the, the WWE has never had a smaller audience on television. And the product has never been more boring. And through all of that, every single time that AEW gets a star or gets a run and start at something or has a door open, an opportunity to do something, Tony Khan and his amateur booking and the indie mindset on the most of the roster that he has assembled can't get out of their own way to take advantage of it. I'm getting pissed. And all of that work that I did to send that email to the WWE board of directors. Oh, stop it. After making sure that my irresistible cousin Pamela got a job up there and seduced all the old white men. <laughs> and all this work is for naught. Tony still can't win the, the war. Oh, my God. All right. Well, that was AEW. Speaking of grisly thoughts, what are you doing over on the Arcadian Vanguard side of things this week before we talk about uh, Uncle Vince and his troubles? Another Action Pack Week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information on all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. The latest episode of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam is out right now. John's guest is Frank Colbertson with a conversation about Portland wrestling. Hear it today at McAdamPod.com or Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Want to make mention of the latest Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry Patreon episode, patreon.com slash Baldrin and Barry. The boys talk with New Japan commentator Kevin Kelly about a range of issues, including the controversy with Vince McMahon. Hear that today once again, patreon.com slash Baldrin and Barry, and hear the regular show 
at baldrinpod.com or look for Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! <laughs> Go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership! You you found you found like you bit your lip there, fella. Yeah, I think I did. I'm bleeding. All right, I guess it's time that we should discuss the main event news of the week. Things have been popping like it constantly. This only bit has hadn't even been 48 hours, and there's news after news after news on Vince and his various troubles and issues this week. Well, what, Jim, what are you? Jim, if I could jump in, we have some breaking news. Oh, not more. We haven't even told the people what the news is yet. As we're covering the news, we have some more breaking news. And this actually is a follow-up on something we've talked about on previous episodes. So I feel like to do our service to the audience, we need to address these things. The headline from WrestlingObserver.com, Dwayne The Rock Johnson surprises WWE's Tamina with new home. No! (laughs) Johnson praised Tamina for the obstacles she overcame to make it in pro wrestling, and here I have a video. It appears to be from... Let me lower the volume on this. It appears to be on Instagram of The Rock surprising Tamina in a new home, and there's a camera crew inside to film The Rock coming in with Tamina. (laughs) I thought you'd want to know. Breaking news. Breaking news. We have been discussing this. If you're in with the rock, you get a truck, a car, or a house. Amazing. And he's going to make sure to film all of it. I'm just wondering, is he going to give Vince a house? Vince may need a house. He may need some place to go here shortly. Should we get back into this now? Thank you for that rock update. Well, let's talk about it. The biggest story to happen, you know, the other day we had a big story with Jeff Hardy and we were covering it and things were happening as we were recording. And then the other day it just happened with this Vince McMahon news and it's been kind of a downpour now of news about WWE and behind the scenes things going on. (laughs) Things going on. As things going on, we don't know. Um... (sighs) It came out, what, as I said, not even 48 hours ago, the first story was that Vince McMahon was being investigated by the WWE Board of Directors for an improper relationship and subsequent payoff and NDA non-disclosure agreement being signed with a former employee who apparently was hired and then got an upgrade in the job and a raise and then was given to John Laurinaitis as an assistant and then left the company. She worked there for, what was it, two years. The first year, she got 100 grand a year. Second year, she got 200 grand a year. And her severance pay was $3 million. $3 million. Apparently, that was a settlement for her to go away and not talk ill of anyone. And uh, all I got to say is, if I ever pay anybody $3 million to not talk about me, you can be absolutely positive that I did whatever they said that I would do if I didn't pay them. (laughs) What the? 
So Vince being investigated by the board of directors for improper relationship with a former employee, Laurenitis is involved also. The investigation is on. That's the first news we heard, right? The first news we heard was an article from the Wall Street Journal went up and it was posted on social media. And that was the first mention yesterday afternoon that right after the close of the market, that the board is investigating the secret $3 million settlement that Vince McMahon paid a departing employee. And then there were other details in the article to the story. Well, and apparently, and we'll, we'll try to break all this down, but apparently that this agreement that was signed uh, with the NDA barring discussion, she was hired as a paralegal in 2019. And like I said, was there for two years and then uh, was, uh, I don't, does it say whether she was let go or I want to leave? How much are you going to pay me to go quietly? What do we know what the arrangement there was? I'm not exactly sure. One of the things that really stuck out to a lot of people in this article in the Wall Street Journal was a quote here from the friend of the woman who took the payout, right? I don't know if that's the way to put it. The woman who got paid to leave WWE $3 million. And here's the quote. My friend was so scared she quit after Vince McMahon and lawyer Jerry paid her millions of dollars to shut up. The initial email to the board said, referring to McMahon's longtime lawyer, Jerry McDivitt. But then the other one here was there was a specific quote about the friend being passed to John Laurinaitis like a toy. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, he, he is de- John Lauren, Laurinaitis is described in the Wall Street Journal article. Uh, well, actually, because of his biography on the WWE website, describes him as one of Mr. McMahon's most trusted associates. And the friend who sent the, the friend of the offended woman employee who sent an email to one of the board members that started this whole rock rolling down the hill said that, uh, yes, that after she worked for Vince, that then, ah, the email to the board, here's the quote, also alleged that Mr. McMahon gave her like a toy, unquote, to Mr. Laurinaitis to be his assistant. Apparently, and here's the thing, this was a couple of years ago. Vince is 76 now. He would have been 70 fucking three. This woman is 41 years old, apparently. She was initially hired at the salary of $100,000, but it was increased to $200,000 after she began a sexual relationship with Vince, and then he gave her to Laurinaitis, and she worked for him for a while, and then the only thing, my friend was so scared she quit after Vince McMahon and lawyer Jerry paid her millions of dollars to shut up. If somebody I was working for paid me millions of dollars not to talk, I wouldn't quit. I'd stay there and see what else I could figure out to get paid to not talk about. But anyway, the directors apparently received a copy of the $3 million agreement from one of Mr. McMahon's lawyers on June 12th. It provided an upfront payment of $1 million with the remaining $2 million to be doled out over a period of five years. So... Vince and Mr. Laurinaitis, uh, that was the initial story that came out. They're being investigated. 
They've already also, there's the board's eight independent directors have retained New York-based law firm Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett. At least less has got work uh, to conduct the investigation. But I understand now, not only are they investigating this one, but also previous allegations and or NDA agreements that were signed uh, over the same type of tone of offenses with different people that involve Vince and or Laurinaitis and or other people. Is this what I'm hearing also? There's other NDAs and payoffs in the past that are being looked into. There's a lot of questions everyone has. The Wall Street Journal article, one of the last things in there was it said that investigators learned of other non-disclosure agreements involving allegations against McMahon and Laurinaitis. And this is where it could get really interesting because, you know, one of the interesting angles of this case is it's Vince McMahon's money. It wasn't company money, the $3 million. However, the 100% raise is company money. That's where it becomes a very interesting dynamic there because that's shareholder money. And I think, well, well go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it, yes, it is his money that he paid the the NDA business with, you're correct. It is. They just took this woman who was hired as a paralegal for a hundred thousand dollars. And then a year later, Oh, let's give her 200 grand. And then let's give her this money not to talk. I would think I'm kind of offended. I would have thought that if anybody was going to get paid by the WWE, not to say things, it would have been me. But unfortunately, I guess I didn't do the right things when I was there. But so now... Yeah, you can't say anything to damage the stock. <laughs> what did Vince say? What was Vince's condition and what did Vince say in bed? What was he whispering? Oh, my God. But anyway, the, so this comes out, this announcement, and there's been other NDAs that they're, they're going to be investigating and other settlements and payoffs, and there's more than one investigation from more than one law firm because the board of directors is investigating, but now also the stockholders are trying to conduct an investigation of any kind of impropriety, sexual or otherwise, that's been going on in WWE management. That was a thing that happened. And then what, what was next in the, in the, uh, the cascade of, of news coming out? If you don't mind, before we get to next, and we still don't even know as we are recording if he is going to be there for the live SmackDown tonight, because this has not been said. But a lot of listeners, naturally, knowing your history, were wondering your thoughts on John Laurinaitis and his involvement in this whole thing. <laughs> well, the thing with Laurinaitis is, and I've heard this from his lips, it's a publicly traded company, Jim. A publicly traded company. You can't yell at the trainees. You can't yell at the wrestlers and tell them they're the shits. You have to empower them. You can't verbally abuse them. It's a publicly traded company. So now we know that in a publicly traded company, you cannot yell at wrestlers. You can, however, fuck secretaries and then pay them $3 million not to talk about it. But you can't yell at the wrestlers. John Lord, my old friend, who would have thought 30 Four years, 33 years ago, if you walked into the Philadelphia Civic Center and heard those people chanting, 
Shane sucks dick. Shane, and you saw the sign, Shane sucks Johnny's dick. If you'd have said, that guy with two left feet that can't ride a skateboard and Vince McMahon, the most powerful man in wrestling, will one of these days be working side by side to pay hush money to an offended secretary. I would have said, yeah, that probably sounds about right. I mean, imagine how different your life would be if Mrs. Baba fell in love with you. Because <laughs> the guy gene had the cute smile and the dimple. Uh, you know what I'm thinking is, it's going to be interesting at Thanksgiving now around the Laurinaitis extended family home. Because now think about this. John Laurinaitis married the Bella Twins' mother. One of the Bella Twins is married to Brian Danielson, one of the most nice, honest, wholesome, upright individuals in the world. Well, now, according to what they're saying on Twitter, because I don't honestly keep up with the Bellas and their immediate family, but apparently, while all of this falderall was supposed to be going on at Titan Tower, with this unnamed employee. Did you know the Bella twins mother, Johnny's wife apparently had brain cancer. Oh my God. No. While, while he's messing around with an employee while his wife, the Bella's mother has brain cancer. That would have been that same time frame. That's what they're saying on the interwebs now. So I wonder what the frosty relationship is going to be like when everybody sits down to carve that turkey. I wonder which turkey is going to get carved first this year at Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble, or John Laurinaitis himself? It also brings into question, makes you at least think about, the idea that Laurinaitis, who had been cast away from talent relations, he was an agent. And all of a sudden, when Paul Levesque started losing power, John Laurinaitis is once again right there, Vince McMahon's left hand and Pritchard his right hand. <laughs> in more oh, wait, ways than in more ways than say, one, maybe. There's, there's material in there somewhere. Which which hand are you gonna get? The left hand or the right hand? In terms of the timing, it is very interesting that all of a sudden Laurinaitis would rise back to this role that no one thought he should be in and no one thought he would ever rise back to having. And there he is. Vince McMahon knows he has people that he could trust enough to say. Here's the paralegal I like to fuck. Take her. Like, what? Oh, but I, I, one thing, and I'll, I'm going to talk about my experience with Vince in a second, but in all seriousness, I, I don't know which came first, whether Laurinaitis had said, oh, here, well, we'll put you back in talent relations again because you know too much, or whether Vince just did that because he was bringing back everybody that he was comfortable with from 20 years ago when he had all his faculties. And these people were what he did, were the people that did exactly what he said. Bruce and laryngitis and whatever. But, oh, and Kevin Dunn. I got to mention, a lot of people, the rumor went out that Kevin Dunn was being arrested, or being arrested, being, in, I wish, being investigated for insider trading because he sold over a million dollars worth of stock after the board of directors was told about this investigation that was going to be happening back in uh, potentially late April is when they're saying that happened. Well, I don't know all the insider trading 
rules and regulations you probably know more than I do, young man, Brian, but I've also heard that since he's not on the board of directors, it's not against the rules for him to have sold his stock as long as he followed all the rules you're supposed to follow. But at the same time, you be, nobody can convince me that Kevin Dunn was not one of the first people to know about this. Because and I would have said Kevin Dunn before Laurinaitis, except Laurinaitis is involved. I think that's one thing that we can probably be confident of is that Kevin Dunn would have liked to have, but it probably never has accosted any of the, at least the divas or maybe any of the female employees. I wouldn't think, my God, that would be just, that would be like bestiality. Kevin Dunn mating with a human. However, he's devoured lots of wood. Lots of wood. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck? chuck? Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't, unless something has changed drastically, Kevin Dunn is the guy that Vince McMahon would talk to more than almost anybody else in the company and more than almost anybody else in his own family. And I would believe that if, if anybody, if he was going to confide in anybody in the company, it wouldn't be Nick Khan that he's probably known for two or three years. They're business associates. He would confide in Kevin Dunn. I would, I would think before Laurinaitis, even Laurinaitis was already involved in this. So when Vince knew about this, if he told anybody, one of the first two or three people tops that he told was Kevin Dunn. He doesn't speak to Linda as often as he, as he speaks to Kevin Dunn. He doesn't speak to Shane as often as he speaks to Kevin Dunn. And lately with, with uh, Stephanie, I don't know about that. So there are very few people in that company that he will have a personal conversation with more often than Kevin Dunn. In terms of insider trading, even though he's not on the board of directors currently, he is an executive within the company. And you're right. He has the ability and the right to sell or trade stock at any time. Unless someone says, hey, we're not going to announce it yet to the public, but we're going to have a change at the top. Vince is going to have to step down. If you sell it after knowing that, if you sell it maybe even after knowing about the investigation, that actually does become a little tricky. It's not as simple as he's not on the board of directors, so there's no insider trading. You could be guilty of insider trading if you're not on the board of directors. Well, this is going to be like a Trump deal where I guarantee you that Vince, there's no email, there's no nothing in writing that Vince told Kevin Dunn about this, but I guarantee you he knew about it. Hey, here's the other thing. Based on when Stephanie McMahon stepped down to take time away from the company, and since that time the company put out some disparaging comments about her, they hired people to replace her, based on the timeline and the fact that she's been on the board of directors, she would have known of the investigation when she stepped down. Yeah, well, she's still on the board of directors, is she not? She yeah. is, yeah. So she knew about that before she stepped down. Yes, yeah, she did. Which paints that in a different and interesting light. Now, I've, I've also heard the theory postulated here today on the internet that they disparaged Stephanie on the way out at Vince's behest because they didn't want to fuck with the stock price. And they thought if she left and there was something wrong with the company, and that's why she was leaving, then the stock price would suffer. So instead, they put out the word that she's taking a leave of absence. But really what it was, was they weren't happy with her work. So 
they put that story out so it wouldn't panic anybody. Well, now, not to jump ahead, but we're going to be finding out shortly in this uh, dissertation that the person that they weren't happy with her work is now running the whole goddamn fiasco. But is she? So, but but we'll but get is she? But we'll get well. Also, I mean, trying to get to all these things, we got to remember that the McMahons are going to circle the wagons around themselves against everybody else. So, I'm sure that, and maybe Stephanie had this to back of her mind. Maybe Vince did too. Let's let her step back so we can calm that down. But if this breaks and gets public because we can't stop it, then we can bring her back. And a lot of people said, well, why wouldn't it be Shane or somebody else? Because Stephanie's the one that's been there for years, regularly working in the business, making it her life without a McMahon of some description running the show, or at least in the, in the chair, as they say, the stock price would have gone sideways. But now at least they, and it still, I'm sure is, but they can at least make the argument that there's still an experienced McMahon in charge of the situation, and she's been the face of the thing for some time now. But with with Vince personally, here's the thing. I'm going to say this. We're going to talk about this for a couple minutes. If nobody likes it, I don't care or believes me, I don't care because it's the truth, some people are going to say, well, he's taken up for Vince. He's defending Vince. Well, dipshits, listen to the whole thing. I'm going to tell you that my personal experience with Vince and everything I've heard before and afterwards of my personal, the times before and after my personal experience with Vince's, do not reconcile. But I believe all of them. I believe what I saw because I was there, and I believe what I hear before and afterwards because it's a bunch of people saying a lot of the same shit. And it's Vince is different. So, you know, something's happened. But we've talked about this before. The Vince McMahon that I worked with Closely for three years, 96 to 99, and I was working for the company, 93 to 96. It was it was like you were around a friendly high school principal. He wasn't sending you to detention all the time or suspending you or punishing you or just talking down to you or whatever. He was friendly, but he never gave me the impression that I or anybody else in his immediate orbit should fuck up. It it was, I've never seen Vince McMahon take any kind of drug, whether it be steroids, HGH, bodybuilding stuff. You know it's been there. You know he's done it, but I never saw it. But I never saw him... I've had, you know, one of the threads of Vince McMahon stories on the internet is somebody said, Vince said to him, ah, that cocaine, you can put as much of that stuff in front of me as you want. I can snort it all day and never get addicted. I never saw Vince do cocaine or refer to himself doing cocaine in the past or look forward to doing cocaine in the future. Same thing with any other illegal drug. I've seen Vince drink. 
especially the fucking, you know, the beer deals with Austin, right? But I had a show after the show. Boy, long, we've been at the raw taping for 14 hours in that building. As soon as he gets in the car, well, I'm going to have a beer? No. I've at a couple of steakhouses. I've seen him have expensive steakhouse drinks like a fucking whiskey on the rocks, pal, or whatever. But I've never seen him drunk. I was, you know, not only in the office at the same time as any wouldn't go to the office drunk, but I was in rental cars with him before shows, after shows, driving up to two in the morning, staying at the same hotels. Yes, when we would get out of a TV taping, if we were staying in that town, didn't have a long drive, we'd get back to the hotel, Vince would go to the bar. On a lot of occasions, so would Pat, so would Bruce. I would go to my room and get a goddamn pizza. Or if room service was still up, I was looking for food. Bruce liked to drink beer, Pat liked to talk to people, and Vince was in between them. After 12 hours in a building, I wasn't going to go to the hotel bar. I wasn't going to talk to anybody else. I was tired. I wanted to eat and fucking turn the air conditioning up and watch TV in my underwear. But I never heard Bruce or anybody the next day, boy, you should have seen Vince. He was crocked last night. Or holy shit, Vince got out of hand. Never. You've heard stories from the 80s when they, he dared the Hart Foundation to give him their finish in a bar, and he did, or they did. I wasn't seeing that at that time. And with women or females or whatever, the talent roster, the girls, the they weren't even divas then. They were just the girls. You know, I again, he would make comments like any normal man. I've told the story. Him and Shitstain just were fixated on Sable. They thought Sable was the most beautiful, attractive woman in the world. I couldn't get it. Because to me, it's the personality. She had no personality. Nothing. She looked great in an 8 by 10 if you like plastic surgery. Not one lick of personality or oomph for talent or sexiness. But they loved her. And that's when Vince was the one. Said, boy, pal, can you imagine her in some white cotton panties? And then shit stayed with, oh, and I'm like, what the white cotton? What about leather crotchless with attached fishnets? What the fuck? If you're going to fantasize about something, at least pull out the main event shit. Don't oh. be going over the fucking Sears catalog. Imagine if she was a paralegal. Oh yeah, but I mean, but it wasn't even it. It was guy stuff, but not even over the top guy stuff in private. I never saw him be or say anything inappropriate to any of the female employees or any of the female talent. And so that was you know, again. You heard the stories of the old days. Well, I was the old days, maybe or whatever. I mean, he was wrapped up in. Goddamn, pal, where's your suit and coat or your jacket and tie or whatever the fuck? If you tried to walk from the hotel next door to the arena and you were on his creative team, he didn't already have your tie on. He'd dress you down for that. This is a guy that's going to go out and fucking commit mayhem at the tanning salon showing naked pictures of himself. That was reported years ago. That doesn't sound like the same guy to me. 
or all this other stuff. But that was my experience. And like I said, I never saw him impaired, never saw him uh, intoxicated, never saw him inappropriate with people. And he did, it wasn't even like behind closed doors, this shit we're going to talk about. It, it, there wasn't even anything there. But then I'm gone. I'm down here in Louisville for what, a couple or three years. And I hear now they've bought a plane. They've got their own plane. And now there are these charter flights. And then you hear the story of the plane ride from hell. Or you hear multiple stories from people who have been there on the writing team or worked in the office of private meetings that he was having on the plane with the, some of the divas and Laurenitis would be there to watch the door from the outside. I've had people actually, yeah, Laurenitis was standing there at the foot of the fucking stairs. So nobody could get on the plane while Vince had his meeting with whoever. And I'm, huh. what, and, and to go back to what we said before, Stephanie and Triple H, as they got more power, Laurenitis disappeared. And all of a sudden when they lost power, Vince got Laurenitis right back in place. And I'm, but I'm just saying, as you know, I hear the stories and from people that I, you know, you never know what people are going to come up with, but they've got no reason to just blurt these things out and make them up. And they're so detailed. And when we heard the, the deal with the tanning salon woman in Florida, I'm like, what the fuck? That, that sounds like, it doesn't sound like Vince. It sounds like some lonely weirdo with no money out somewhere. I've never seen him act like that, but was it the publicly traded company business, the stock scam? He became a billionaire. Now I've got my own airplane. It, 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 you know, Linda's gone. Linda's doing her own thing, living somewhere else, running for Senate. Because when I was going to his, that's another thing. Linda was home every morning. When I showed up at Wednesdays to write at Vince's, she was leaving to go to the office. And she'd come in about 6 or 6.30, we'd still be there. Uh, and then she would sometimes actually be the way that we got sprung. She'd say, well, we got to have dinner. We got to do something or whatever. All right, guys, go ahead and leave now. But, you know, when they, you know, moved apart or whatever, when he got all this money, was this the change? Is he suddenly you know, 20 years old again, he's a college kid. He's doing all this shit. I, but it's not the person that I dealt with on a regular basis for quite some time. But at the same time, I have no reason to doubt most of the stories because they come from reliable sources and, or they're so detailed. So I don't know what happened to cause him to decide that he should all of a sudden He'd be acting like this, but it, it he wasn't doing it in the 90s. I don't know about the 80s or the thousands, but he wasn't doing it in the 90s. And again, look at where it's happening. It's happening at work. Work right now is different than it was in the past. Maybe it wasn't as easy to just do that. Well, I shouldn't say that. He was having an affair with Emily Feinberg, who's an assistant, years ago. So that's not even the case. Yeah. But at the same time, well, that was before. That was before the trial. That was before I got there. Yeah. Uh, maybe he, you know, was scared straight and reformed a little bit for a while. And then I missed seeing the fun-loving Vince. Were you there when the Playboy interview came out where he was bragging about 
cheating on Linda in the past and how he had to beg for forgiveness? No, that was that was either that was early two thousands, wasn't it? Wasn't that about the time that they went public? Maybe. I think that was right. I was I was gone the summer of ninety nine, and that and then shit started getting complicated. Here's the other thing, just to throw this out there, but you're talking about how people could change between when you knew him and now in his seventies, as it relates to money, and the level of money, and of course personal relationships, but we're also leaving out the idea that here's a guy who from the time you first met him after that point, how many undiagnosed concussions did he have? All of a sudden mm. he starts taking bumps in his life at that point? Getting hit with chairs? He wouldn't sell anything. He's I mean, I'm not talking in the ring. He'll sell something for the show, but he wouldn't tell other people, I'm hurt, I'm injured, I've done something wrong, unless... I mean, when he when he tore his quads and couldn't stand up, that was a good little hint. But he wouldn't put anything over like something's a matter with me. But again, to talk about things that we hear from reliable people, people who are in the room, people who have no reason to lie, reliable people. We've heard stories going back several years about Vince McMahon being forgetful, having memory issues, immediately forgetting what he just said to someone. In some cases, not recognizing who people are, but that may have been something else. <laughs> but that's the other thing I've always thought about, where if we're hearing these stories, if we're hearing them, and other people are, I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, every single wrestling journalist and pseudo-wrestling journalist has heard these stories from someone if they're talking to anyone in that company. If we're hearing these stories, at some point... There has to be some sort of disclosure to shareholders that Vince McMahon legitimately does have any cognitive issues. And has he been tested for that? And that's what I'm thinking. What would be the biggest thing that would cause... Again, I'm just opining, thinking out loud. What would be the biggest thing to cause them to freak out and want an NDA? That would, I think, be the most embarrassing thing. That would be the most hurtful thing to the company. Because otherwise, what's it going to be? He likes to fuck dogs? I mean, what else could it really be? <laughs> He just holds their head. No, um, you know, that that's the thing. It's not like that Vince can be accused of a lot of shit he hadn't been accused of before, and he usually doesn't care, and he'll just fight back. But in this, you know, somebody that was intimately close to him over the last few years may have some, you know, uh, insight into whether or not Vince is they're not like he used to be. And that could affect, because they're all worried about the stock price and business. And it's, it's it, the richer people get, the more money means to them because the more they want and, and the more they've got to protect it for whatever reason. And so maybe that was, I don't care what people think about me or I'm cheating on my estranged wife or, me and Lauren, Laurenitis have something going on where we're doing these things, but goddamn, we don't want anything to happen to the stock price. I don't know. But uh, it's not, I don't know that Vince's behavior in this respect is symbolic or indicative of Alzheimer's or post-concussion syndrome or just being almost 80 years old or whether it's just a continuation of Vince has always I've talked to, he's, he's like an intelligent 
well-spoken Donald Trump in a lot of ways. He thinks that he can do anything and everything that he can get away with. I mean, we talked about, did he start doing these things because he got his own plane? When you think about it, the stories we've all told, he acted like he had a part to play in it when he was flying Delta. If the goddamn pilot didn't like it or didn't have an answer that he liked, he would press for another one or go to argue with the guy or whatever. So I could imagine if they acted that way on Delta, what he acted like when he owns the fucking thing. But uh, I'm, I mean, I think a lot of it is Vince has always thought that he can do anything that he wants to do and the rules don't apply. And to be honest, he's gotten away with it and created a situation where for the majority of his life, that's been the case. He's been the boss. It was his kingdom. Before this publicly traded business, he could do anything he wanted, say anything he wanted, they would make it so. Even with this, look at the way the stock is set up. Well, he's in complete control. But even after that's even after the publicly traded business, it's still set up where he's in complete control, but also he never had any oversight at all. Now he's got a board of directors and all this stuff, but they've still for the last 20 years made it to where there's very little oversight because these people that are not involved in the wrestling business, they're used to dealing with other companies and real businesses and things where if they say something to the stockholders, you kind of believe it because there's penalties for not telling the truth. But <laughs> Vince has still operated this whole thing just like he always did. And the people, the stockholders who aren't wrestling people, they might remember when the stockholders got upset because they thought Mr. McMahon got killed in the limo. They're like, it's going to kill the stock price. People think he's dead. They don't know. <laughs> so they don't know work from a shoot, from an angle, from a fucking whatever. And so they've still been able to get away with tons of things in the WWE that no other company would be able to get away with, with their stockholders, just because, the stockholders don't know what's real and what's a work and where to differentiate between the two. And now the question remains, since he's voluntarily, I get we haven't even mentioned that yet, but Vince, then one of the pieces of business was that Vince has voluntarily stepped down from his position as CEO of the WWE while this investigation is going on. Well, if they already know there was an NDA and they already know that Vince paid his own money and they already know that he was fucking around with the employees and Laurinaitis better start reading the help wanted ads because he ain't got anywhere near protection that Vince has. But when they already know that this thing has happened and the fact that Vince said, well, it was my own money uh, and Jerry McDivitt said the relationship was consensual, so they're not denied it happened. So the yeah, the, but when, when you end the consensual relationship, I don't know about you, but I've had fights over who gets the DVD player. Let alone, I'll give you three million dollars to yeah, just leave. Yeah, well, that, that's 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 what I'm saying, you know. But they haven't denied that he knows this woman, that they had a relationship. McDivitt didn't deny that Lauren Itis and this woman had a relationship. 
One would think if that was bullshit, he would have thrown that in. So this is not being, it's like, would, would you fuck me for a for million dollars? Yes. Would you fuck me for a dollar? No. What do you think I am? Well, we've already established that. We're just haggling over price. We've already established that Laurinaitis and Vince both did these things. The question is whether they were of sufficient illegality or against the rules of Hoyle to cause Vince to be kicked out of his own company, in which case all of the stockholders and everybody else are going to have a rude awakening because they're going to lose a lot more money than if he was just dipping his fucking pen in company ink, as they say. Well, I have a few things here for you, Jim. One. Well, I've got a couple of things for you, too. Well, thank you very much. WWE got in touch with talent, and they issued a message saying that the Wall Street Journal has published a report about WWE with allegations that we and our board of directors take seriously. We are cooperating fully with the investigation. In the meantime, it's business as usual. Vince will be at TV this Friday. And here is the official statement from WWE's board of directors. Stanford, Connecticut, June 17th, 2022. WWE and its board of directors jointly released the following statement today. Independent directors continue review of alleged executive misconduct. Stephanie McMahon, named interim CEO and interim chairwoman. WWE and the board of directors today announced that a special committee of the board is conducting an investigation into alleged misconduct by Chairman and CEO Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis, head of talent relations, and that, effective immediately, McMahon has voluntarily stepped back from his responsibilities as CEO and Chairman of the board until the conclusion of the investigation. McMahon will retain his role and responsibilities related to WWE's <laughs> creative content during this period and remains committed to cooperating with the review underway. And one other thing related to Vince here that is interesting, and I think you should hear, here's a quote from attributed to Vince. I have pledged my complete cooperation to the investigation by the special committee, and I'll do everything possible to support the investigation. I have also pledged to accept the findings and outcome of the investigation, whatever they are. Vince McMahon didn't write that. I've never heard him say I've pledged my full cooperation, <laughs> but and he's never been willing to accept the findings, whatever they may be, if they're against the findings that he wanted to found. Uh, but so again, Stephanie, we talked about that earlier when she stepped away. She knew what was going on. But now at least that will placate. The stock is down right now as we talk, what, 3 or $4 a share. That will placate people from having a complete meltdown over that there's no McMahon running the WWE for the first time in history. Uh, and she's the one that's most experienced with that. But at at some point, there is going to be and we've talked about this, if anything happened to Vince, if he actually did pass on or got hit by a truck or whatever, there'd be incredible double knockouts in the office over who was going to be in charge and who was going to run this and that and the other thing. And they've got a lot of qualified and competent people in various places, but the WWE, for good, bad, or indifferent, 
that company, whether we're not just talking about creative, that company entirely has never existed without Vince calling every single shot. And I don't know what it'll look like if he's not. And I mean, we've, we haven't been fans of his booking lately, but he does a lot of other things that keep a company running that are obviously over and above Tony Khan's head and everybody else in the wrestling business's head because he's done this for so long at such a level. Go ahead. With what you said before, what do you think is more, what do you think is going to placate the shareholders more? Stephanie being the replacement as interim CEO and chairwoman? or Vince running creative. Well, and that's something else that they have to you know to say because they have their own narrative. The company's own narrative is that the straw that stir, stirs the drink, the thing that makes this whole thing run is Vince McMahon's incredible and innate mastery of the wrestling business and how he makes stars. And that used to be in a lot of cases true and it hadn't been for a while, but the average jack-off on the street doesn't know that. Only the people who follow wrestling religiously and vociferously know that. So he can't still be the CEO of the company because he's under investigation. A McMahon has been appointed to be the CEO, and she's got some experience, but nobody wants to admit that Vince wouldn't be in charge of the creative team going forward because that might tank the stock price. But here's the other thing. If he's going to be just going to TV as usual every week, what's his actual title? If he's not the active CEO his and chairman? title is, he's the fucking boss and everybody's still going to do what he says and not a single soul is going to say, no, Vince, I can't do that without checking with Stephanie because it's fucking Vince. And it's what they've told the board of directors and all the people writing about this, it's going to happen. But Vince is going to do the same things that Vince has always been doing and do you think that Stephanie's going to say, no, Pop, I really don't think we ought to open that satellite office in Brazil that you want to want to open. I'm going to overrule you on that one. That would be the greatest thing ever if she removes him from creative. <laughs> that would be the greatest oh thing of all time. <laughs> the WWE has announced they wish Vince McMahon well in his future endeavors. And make her a baby face forever. Replaced um, by Triple H. Well, and, and see, and what timing... They could have gone to Triple H without the heart problem. And now he's, you know, like, fuck, this could have been my chance. The ticker didn't make it. Well, you know, on the other hand, maybe he's thinking, you know, thank God I'm not there. <laughs> thank God I'm not a part of this. I wouldn't get Well, no, sleep. he he would, he, to to get that spot where he's running the whole thing, he would do the work. Triple H, Paul Levesque has never been afraid of shying away from working to get where he wants the social climbing thing that he is but um so now they got nobody triple h is on the sidelines vince is almost 80 and out uh potentially for good because of this thing that they know that he did and how many other of these things did he do they're checking into that laurenitis i hope he's already cleaned his desk out they may not ask him to come back by monday because he's got no familial protection or he's not the stockholders don't care if he drops over or bursts into flames so so he's fucked stephanie may be the only one that comes out of this better she may get the job permanently just for lack of other contenders what's to stop vince if he doesn't like the findings of the board from announcing he wants to take wwe private again 
and he finds some bank to finance him. I don't know that it, well, since, he, what does he still own? 80 something percent of it? Of the voting share. I got to actually see what he has. How does all that work? I know that they, they took money from people and gave them, uh, the people that gave them money as little as possible in return for it, but I don't know what all the rules are. Well, I do have something here that's interesting, and then we'll talk a little bit about Stephanie, but Brandon Thurston, at Brandon Thurston on Twitter, he is always doing great research and great stuff on what's happening in wrestling. Here is the actual employment agreement of Vince McMahon, the conditions under which the company or the board of directors could terminate him. The company may terminate the executive's employment under this agreement at any time, with or without cause, as defined below. For purposes of this agreement, the company shall have cause to terminate the executive's employment under this agreement by reason of any of the following which is materially and demonstrably injurious to the interest, property, operations, business, or reputation of the company or its affiliates. Here are the firing clauses. A. The executive's theft or embezzlement or attempted theft or embezzlement of money or property of the company or its affiliates. B. The executive's intentional perpetration or attempted perpetration of fraud or participation in a fraud or attempted fraud on the company or its affiliates. C. The executive's willful and intentional material misconduct in performance of his duties or gross negligence of his duties, other than due to the executive's disability, including an intentional failure to follow any applicable company policies or directives. That might be something where they get them. Hmm, you think they've written it down somewhere you're not allowed to fuck the paralegals? And pay them off with your own personal money when you give them a raise with company money? But here's D, the executive's conviction of or plea of guilty to a misdemeanor involving moral turpitude or any felony. Ah, the turpitude clause! And E, the executive's willful and intentional material breach of this agreement, including the restrictive covenants set forth in Section 8, for purposes of this, Section 5, I'm trying to see if there's anything else here that relates to this. That really seems to sum it up. Those are the ways they could fire Vince McMahon. And it's clearly and plainly written right out there in language that everybody could understand and words that most people can pronounce. Well, Jim, the other interesting thing that came out of all of this, and we've kind of danced around it a little bit here, but a tweet, June 17th, 2022, 7.48 a.m. from Stephanie McMahon. That, By the way, they started early in the morning. The statement that Vince was stepping down went out at 7-something in the morning. Allie, do you think they even went to bed the night before? Go ahead with the tweet. They were going to get it out before the market opened. That's exactly what they were going to do. <laughs> Until the conclusion of the investigation into recent allegations, I am honored to assume the role of interim chairwoman and CEO. I love WWE and all it continues to do to entertain billions around the world. Also, Andre the Giant was my best friend as a child. <laughs> he used to pick me up in his hand and I would kiss him on the cheek like Thumbelina. And then he would dip me in wine. But uh, that part wasn't in the statement. I may have ad-libbed some of it. Some of it. Um, so, uh, I mean, do you think, does Stephanie end up with this thing permanently? Because then, if, what I wonder, would Nick Khan think about that? 
Because does Khan want to run the thing or does Khan just want to sell the thing? Who wants to buy the thing if this is the drama going on? What are you buying? Well, and that and now Nick Khan's probably thinking, oh shit, I had to get into business with these wrestling people. Because somebody's always fucking somebody. But Stephanie, um, she she's a McMahon and she's younger and she's experienced. And maybe they'll say, well, since the the old chairman and his, you know, old assistants were committing sexual impropriety. Maybe we put a woman in charge. That'll eliminate that problem. Until we find out about the pool boy up there in New Hampshire. But nevertheless. I mean, you know, what, Stephanie's been head of creative and, and has never been universally praised for that. Uh, Stephanie's done a lot of things in the company but does anybody does anybody want to follow stephanie into battle like they did vince back in the old days i mean how do they feel about the two of them these days when i was there it was oh yeah vince is general Patton, and there's his cute little daughter does anybody take stephanie seriously these days up there now after the last 20 years or whatever I think there's people that prefer her to some of the people that Vince has been surrounding himself with. That's for sure. <laughs> you think Vince is going to show up on uh, SmackDown with a neck brace? Well, and that's the thing. It That's the last uh, statement that we heard that, that has come out is that Vince McMahon will appear tonight as we speak. It's Friday. In just a few hours at 8 o'clock Eastern on SmackDown. And... <laughs> Did they phrase it some way that Mr. Mc, it's going to be Mr. McMahon, he's going to appear in character? Was that some uh, yeah, I have it here. description of it? Alex Sherman, CNBC media and tech reporter, tweeted out, New from CNBC, Vince McMahon will speak tonight on SmackDown, and this is all in caps, in character, <laughs> as Mr. McMahon to address his temporary absence. Could be a big ratings night for WWE. McMahon has torn up the script for SmackDown, which was written last night, I'm told. Oh, God. Here we go. So, again, and they they never miss an opportunity to let everybody know how fucking pre-planned, choreographed, fake, phony, and scripted this stuff is. But you know tonight, Brian, here's Mr. McMahon coming on to address a real-life happening. You know what Vince McMahon's going to say tonight on SmackDown, don't you? What's that? He's going to say, I didn't screw the secretary. The secretary screwed the secretary. <laughs> Will you stop it? <laughs> that's what it worked the last time. That's, that's how he got to be publicly traded. Unlike this poor paralegal who was apparently privately traded. Wait a minute. Hold on. Do we have... We didn't need this. No. That's the last thing this segment needed. Do you remember how David Letterman dealt with... It wasn't even accusations. The stories about him sleeping with assistants and different people behind the scenes of The Late Show. Yes, he came out and he said, you know what? I did it and I'm a piece of shit and I shouldn't have done it. Well, he came out and he said, I did it. And people were so disarmed by that, they started laughing along with him. <laughs> as he was talking about just cheating on his wife with various <laughs> people in the office. That's what Vince is going to come out and do. Everyone's been talking about what I'm doing. It's true. I'm fucking them all. <laughs> Why do you think we have a women's division? I'm horny. <sighs> Come on, the guy's in his 70s. He's on the gas. He's had concussions. He's got, 
You said billions of dollars. I don't know how much cash he has, but he's got a lot of money. This this is going to get worse, not that's better. What, that's one reason why you would think that he wouldn't have to go through all this. Why is he fucking a paralegal? He's got enough money to hire he a has no social life. To a, he has no well, social that, life. That, you don't need social life to hire hookers. That's another good thing about hookers. They don't care about going out and seeing a movie. How much of this relationship He's, do you think was in the office? Is he, he going to bring a hooker to the hooker office? for every hooker he hired. Oh, come on. Every day, a new hooker <laughs> and a new hooker for the hooker. Every day for the next five years and not run short of pocket change. So why is he fucking the employees? That's a question. I don't understand that. Keep business and personal separate. For heaven's sake. White cotton panties. That's what led to his downfall. This is going to be interesting. I mean, the idea there are other NDAs, and that's only who has signed an NDA. So we don't know what other stories could possibly be out there. You know, some people are thinking, and again, we've heard stories from different writers and different people who were on that plane about private meetings with certain divas at the time. But who knows what else is going to come out about what's going on in the office? Forget about the wrestlers or any of the talent. There could be some of that. Especially Laurenitis is the one recruiting people that he finds attractive. <laughs> but then what's what? going on in that office? That's where it becomes a whole different thing. And that's where shareholders see things differently than wacky wrestlers doing wacky things. Then it's executives misbehaving with my money. Well, and, and honestly, I mean, this has been brought up to me a, a time or two over the last 25 or 30 years. That normal people outside the wrestling business, and I'm not just talking about sexual escapades or whatever, but normal people outside the wrestling business hear what is an everyday occurrence or a normal thing to say or do or to have happen in a wrestling promotion or a wrestling company, a wrestling office, locker room, whatever, and they're just gobsmacked, just appalled, just their heads explode. And whereas you, it's just like, with us, because we've lived it for 40 years, it's it's just like telling a fucking little amusing story about going to Kroger or whatever. But for normal people who have not been in this world, it's, oh, my God. Every, you know, earlier in the show, yeah, the le letter from Lance, Jackie, passed us by, and then eight miles down the road, we see him hitchhiking naked for a laugh. He used to have naked midgets in the trunk of his car when he'd go through a toll booth he'd hit the button and the trunk would come up and there the naked midgets would wave at the toll just to you know entertain yourself but normal people think all of this behavior whether it's harmful or not is bizarre and so if they just hear some of the just regular shit that goes on in the office or the locker room that doesn't bother anybody and nobody's bothered by it that would be a whole goddamn congressional investigation. And actually, as we are recording, it's 5 p.m. here in the oh East. Oh, boy. <laughs> I have CNN on TV in the background on one of the monitors here, and they just queued up a Vince McMahon story, and we've seen Dave Meltzer said he's going to be on. So, Oh, God. Again, hey, here's this is the thing. CNN's covering you know, this at 5 p.m. I was about to say, people, I laugh when people knock CNN as not real news. And, oh, watch Fox. Yeah, sure, right. But... There's a lot going on in the world between the January 6th commission <laughs> on the insurrection and the war in Ukraine and, and fucking inflation and goddamn price of gas or whatever that we really need to hear about Vince McMahon getting his dick wet in the fucking steno pool and Uncle Dave is going to go on there and say you know 17 times to talk about it.
I've uh, where have we come as a as a society that this makes the news at five o'clock while they're bombing Maropol or wherever you say that Mariupol. Mariupol. <laughs> Maropol. Well, you <laughs> you you take your pole and I'll take my pole and we'll take a few rings around the maypole. So obviously we're going to return and wrap things up tomorrow morning after SmackDown. Yes, if what we're going to do is we're going to watch, listen to, uh, deconstruct, analyze uh, Vince's statement tonight, and we're going to do a special addendum for this program and a, a new clip on the YouTube channel. It depends on where you're getting this fine information from, but we will try to update you on whatever it is that Vince is going to have to say for himself tonight. And this is weird also. Mr. McMahon in character, are they going to invent out of whole cloth an explanation for why he's gone or not there? Or are they going to refer to what's happening in real life, but he's going to talk about it like he's a heel? Or is he going to have someone beat him up? Is he old school enough that he'll leave? With a stretcher job. He's got to get some color. <laughs> He's got, with the only thing, we got to get some color on Vince and have him stretchered out in an ambulance to a medical facility. And that'll get the sympathy back on him. And come to find out that the paralegal's uh, brother is the one that jumped the rail and hit him with the fucking lead pipe because it was all a a blackmail plot. Maybe not. I don't know. If I ask you right now, before we stop for the day, if I ask you right now the odds, what do you think of the chances Vince McMahon returns back to his role as CEO and chairman like nothing ever happened? Or what do you think of the chances this right here may be the end of Vince McMahon as a corporate executive? I would have in, instantly, if you'd asked me this about anything else that's ever happened, I would have said, oh, Vince will be fine. I'm just wondered about this one. with. The product's never been weaker. The talent's never been weaker. The ratings have been going down. There's greedy outside executives. And I say greedy, I don't know the guy. All executives are If you're in a big business, you're a fucking greedy fucker, right? There's greedy executives well, not waiting everyone. to take over for him. All these motherfuckers up there, they're all greedy. Now, if you grew up listening to punk rock, there's a chance you got in there with the right ideas. I say that as the person who was the youngest person ever on the executive floor of Sony Music. You think Nick Khan listened to a lot of punk rock? No, no. All right. So there's greedy executives in there trying to move him out of the way, sell the company to Disney or Apple or Peaches or Pears or Nectarines or whatever the newest company is, make a bunch of money. Vince is almost 80. The way that the, the worm has turned about, he didn't abuse anybody. Remember, abuse me like that. I'd have let him fuck me for $3 million. She has a $100,000 a year job at a place she's never worked. Then she gets raised after a year to two hundred grand. She works there another year. She only has to fuck Vince and Laurenitis and gets $3 million. That's a million and a half apiece. Laurenitis is younger, but at least Vince is somebody. Um, Fuck me like that. But no, the, he didn't abuse anybody. He paid her quite well for her services, and nothing was illegal except for the potential of paying her with company money. But, you know, so, I mean, it, 
if, if, if you think about all the things that Vince has been accused of, whether they were real or imagined or some element of both, this is one of the least offensive and least illegal. He didn't, he didn't carry a briefcase full of allegedly cash into a DA's office in small town Pennsylvania to cover up a murder. Well, we don't know if he did or didn't do that in general. We're saying no. I'm I'm here. saying this it, it, this this story does not compare to that. So the other things that so the point is I'll wrap this up. You asked me, is this the end of Little Rico? Is this the end of Vince? This is not as bad or egregious or illegal or whatever as any of the number of things that he's been accused of or admitted to doing in the past. And he was on trial for steroid fucking racketeering whatever from the federal government at one point he beat all that stuff we don't know what this is a three million dollar hush money payment well, for but, someone but, but that I'm he just, treated great and didn't abuse it anyway i'm just saying he's been accused of worse so far from what the accusations are he's been accused of worse and has admitted to worse but because of the change in society and the change in his own company and a lot of the people that he's opened the door to to let in there, they may be ready to fucking, the time is right. We can, the old man, we can get him now. This is the fucking, the Edgar Allan Poe story, the telltale heart. The old man with the eye, every night I open the door. And it, it, you know, the time may be right. They may be able to get him out for their own selfish purposes. I think the, the WWE without Vince McMahon in charge one way or another, I'm not talking about creative. We know what I think about is creative, but the WWE without Vince McMahon around is going to be a giant clusterfuck. And then it will be sold and it will turn into a corporate conglomerate that bears even less resemblance to pro wrestling than it does already. And all of the people who have never been in the wrestling business will be tickled pink to work there because it's such a lovely place filled with lollipops and sunshine and friendship and rainbows and it'll be the beginning of the end of the wrestling business because that's what i'm i'm thinking in this wrestling war is going to be the first time that one side didn't win and it didn't propel both of their businesses to new heights this is going to be the wrestling war that finishes the whole business off tony khan can't fucking win it if you hand it to him and Vince has gotten old enough that other people are going to take over. And in three to five years, we're going to be talking about fucking movies and raccoons on this program. This is the beginning of the end of the wrestling business. I think Stephanie really needs to show Wall Street and the shareholders that she is seriously in this role, that it's not a puppet role. And I think she should start tonight by firing Kevin Dunn. Well, you know, she's got the power to do a, it. She's got the power to do it. Well, okay, but now here's the thing. She technically has the power to do it, but if Vince don't want it done and she goes to fire Kevin Dunn and Vince says, don't do that, honey. Well, let's see what happens. Where's Shane? Shane's right now sitting in a bar in Brooklyn. Linda's, Linda's poolside in Florida. <laughs> Shane, Shane right now is sitting with his kids somewhere with all the money he'll ever need going, you know what? I love them. They're my family. But Jesus Christ, I'd just rather read a book. 
All righty, so that's up to date so far. Vince and Laurenitis accused of improprieties. An investigation underway by the WWE board of directors after the friend of oh. this woman in question Breaking news. sent an email to the board of directors. I can't even get the recap out. More news. More news. According to this, the woman is saying Bruce Pritchard sat in the corner pleasuring himself watching me and Vince. He, she is not saying that. Are you sure that's not what I'm reading here? Are I you? can't see what you're reading, I but I perhaps I'm wrong. I don't. Perhaps I'm I don't wrong. believe I don't believe Bruce has that much level of fun in him. <laughs> he was the one that didn't even want Jenna Jameson in his fucking hot tub when they were shooting the Val Venus videos. Who's going to come scared, out? Scared. Who's going to come out and say Vince harassed me? Oh, I thought you were going to come out and say, who's going to say they don't want Jenna Jameson in their hot tub? Bruce Pritchard. We already know and the answer to that. this was 25 that. years ago when she looked right. <laughs> well, you know, I, can't, I, I think uh, we say goodbye for now. We'll see everyone in the morning. <laughs> well, anyway, that was my recap. They're investigating Vince. Laurinaitis is screwed. Stephanie is now in charge. Just, uh, Vince will be on SmackDown tonight as Mr. McMahon and we'll... We'll yeah. put an addendum on this thing with whatever he has to say uh, about that once we see it. And suddenly there's a shot that WWE will be run by Rhodes's and Jarrett's. Look at this. Well, you know what? I'll tell you. You've got Cody Rhodes could step right into the booking position. Jeff Jarrett's already there running the arenas. Boom, there you go. It was all a secret 40-year plot for Jarrett and Dusty to take over the WWF from Vince McMahon. All right, we've recapped this and recapped it and recapped it. We'll be back with an update on Vince and if anything else happens. And by next week, Howie the mailroom guy will be running the company. And I'm happy about that because Howie and I always got along real well. Brian, say goodnight. I have some breaking news. Howie has just put out a statement. Stephanie made me sit on her lap. And he's now filing a lawsuit. She says nothing was wrong. Here's $10 million. $10 million payment to Howie Feltersnatch of Danbury, <laughs> Connecticut. Uh, that'll be investigated, too. All right, we're almost done. Uh, you're going to hear some more of me, I guess, because we're going to tell you what Vince did uh, as soon as he does it. But until then, thank you. Fuck you. Bye. Well, we're back, and this shouldn't take long. Brian, we, he bumped the ratings to come out and welcome us to SmackDown. We don't have the ratings yet. It's so early. We're reacting to this uh, very early, very early on a Saturday morning. And uh, But I'm sure there was a lot of curiosity because there was also a lot of talk and a lot of chatter about it. But is, is this the uh, perfect use for the phrase much ado about nothing depends on what you think it was well i i have i think i have two things i think it was one from knowing vince somewhat personally at least the vince that existed in that body 25 years ago and vince professionally same thing would you like to hear my presumption of why why he did what he did yes professionally i think vince looked at that like you see in the, in the movies when the terrorists bomb the white house right and there's chaos and fucking flames and the news is covering everything 
and you see the inner circle, the inner sanctum of the president and his chief advisors, and he looks and they get the close-up of his, of his face, and the president says, the people have to see me. Professionally, I can, I've never seen Vince get news like this. Hey, Vince, uh, yeah, you're going to be drugged through the mud worldwide and you've got to step down as the boss of the company, but I've seen Vince momentarily after receiving bad news about talent or about a business thing or whatever. And I can see him sitting there going, the people have to see me for the stock price. They've got to say, they've got to know I'm still here. I'm not going to sell this. I can see him having that mindset. So he goes out for professionally, the business side events for the stock price and all the sponsors and the business partners and et cetera, et cetera. He's still the guy. He's still there. He ain't selling this shit. From the personal side, did you have you ever heard Vince be that polite publicly on television? Be, why, he did the Mr. McMahon walk, but he did it with a little twinkle in his eye. He wasn't trying to be a heel. He was trying to show him that it was like Fargo doing the Fargo strut. And he gets in the ring and he says, as always, it's a pleasure, a privilege to be in front of you people here tonight. And it's a pleasure to be in Minnesota. And then he delivers the, the, the line that I think he subliminally, he's telling these people, the fans, the fans in the arena and the fans watching that show, which, by the way, at State of the Business, those are the people I think you will agree that are most predisposed to love the WWE, no matter what, love the product, love the stars, etc. right? These are the fans, the people there live and the people that are still watching are the last ones to be run off. Without question, yes. Okay. So for that audience on network television, when he says the four words you just heard in that open, then, now, forever, together, the most important one is together. He was subliminally telling all those people, and did you see it? They were already singing, no chance in hell, like it was fucking Judas on the other channel, right? He was telling those people, I brought you this. I'm the one all these years. It's been me. I brought you all this love and enjoyment and entertainment and built this thing that you like so much, and now they're trying to fuck with me. And I and he, I just want to know how much we're in this together, you and I. He went right to the people, to the people, Brian. That's so always he, been his move. Well, and that's the thing is, is he personally and professionally, and with Vince, the two things intersect quite a bit. He did it professionally for the for the stock price and to make sure that everybody knew the president of the United States was still in the chair. And for the fans personally, he wanted them to know I did all this for you and they're trying to take me down and groundswell of support. And here we get it. And he's very, very good. He's a psychologist. You can't say he's not. He has somehow managed to make people believe that a number of things and people over the years were much more entertaining than they really were. He's a psychologist. So those that is my... Takeaway, as they say on the news, that's my 
impression of why he did what he did, and he didn't need to do anymore. It didn't need to get because I think everybody was thinking, is he going to turn it into an angle, or is he going to go on a long, you know, soliloquy about how he's being wronged and go into detail? That probably wouldn't be wise. But that doesn't mean that Vince was, Vince was capable and you could believe he would have done or said anything that people have come up with, but that's what he needed to do. And I think he knew that. And that's exactly what he did. He's smarter than Donnie dipshit. He won't just run his mouth unnecessarily when he doesn't have to. Well, he listens to his lawyer. That's the difference. Yes. That's, yeah. That's another thing. He's got a better one. So what do you think? What was your uh, what was your deal? What was your deal, man? You know everything. Crazy. Everything you just said, I think, goes into it. So I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But what I right. tweeted out, which some people agreed with, some people disagreed with, and I'll explain. Vince just said goodbye, and I actually thought when he was leaving the ring, there was a sign of emotion on his face because he realized the reality here. If this doesn't go his way, this is his last time on TV ever. And I think whatever feelings or thoughts you had, I think that all goes into his mindset. But he also knows this is a chance. This is his last time on his own show ever. There's that reality. I can see now what you're saying, but in in what world? In what world would anybody want, not want, no matter how this turns out, not want Vince McMahon on television one more time to say whatever the fuck he wants to say, but they could advertise that on pay-per-view, especially if they said, hey, Vince, guess what? We're taking the company away from you and you can't come back, but we'll do a pay-per-view where you get to talk to people and say anything you want. That would be the biggest fucking pay-per-view they could possibly fucking do. But I, at, you just can't. It can't end this way. No matter what happens, win, lose, or draw, Vince McMahon would have to be on WWE television in some capacity one more time because the fans... This would make him the biggest babyface in the history of the world with the fans. They kicked him out and never saw him again. Well, not necessarily. The fans, well, the fans don't give a shit that he paid this woman, this woman. millions of dollars. Yeah. And how many other women were there that signed NDAs? I don't know. That That's the, what they just said. They came up with other people that signed NDAs against him. Laurenitis is going to take the hit. You know that well, already. And, and, nobody, and nobody wants to see Laurenitis at the grocery store. I'm not saying that. <laughs> He could go away, turn green, burst into flames, and nobody would look over from their morning paper. Oh, come on. You'd look over. But, you'd enjoy it. All right. I'd watch. Uh, <laughs> but I'm talking about Vince McMahon and those fans. If they didn't ever get to see him again, he got kicked out of the company and, and didn't get to say goodbye or some type of ceremony, Hall of Fame, thing, whatever the fucking case, those fans are not going to care how many women that he's paid millions of dollars to because I've already seen people on Twitter going, goddamn, for $3 million, I'd fuck him. What if one of the women comes out and says something that Vince did and something was inappropriate as one of the women they've been watching on TV for years and they're a fan of? Well, that might be a different story. But so far, that ain't come out. So far, that has not come out. I'm just opining. What we're dealing and with here is what we're dealing with here. And I'm just telling you, and I'm not even saying whether it's right or wrong, I'm saying the, the, the core fans of the WWE would be upset 
if their Vince McMahon was taken away from them because they've been they've been stuck with him this long, right? So obviously they're not the AEW fans would throw a party in the streets or the people that don't watch the WWF any, WWE anymore. Maybe some of them it's because they don't like Vince's decisions or whatever, but the people that are still there would not be happy or sleepy or dopey or doc or grumpy or et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just, can you disagree with that? I think those fans would move on. If Vince is gone, depends on who's in charge. If the person in charge is a boob or someone, or Jim Hurd, you know, someone like that, <laughs> then it changes the whole thing. But if the person in charge, even if things stay the status quo, if the person in charge is Stephanie, I don't know. That does soften the hit. I'm not saying she's Vince in any way. As a mind, as a booker, as as a business. No, man. I'm talking about as a presence. As a, as presence. a presence. That's as Roy Disney. Remember Roy Disney Jr. Yes. Yeah. In the '80s, when Michael Eisner sometimes hosted the World of Disney, and sometimes it was Roy Disney because he looked enough like Walt <laughs> that you felt it was almost Walt, but it wasn't. It was his nephew. Or Jim Belushi. Well, no, no, he's no, I mean, he's fine he, on his own. He got over on his own. That's right. That movie After where he's me? the teacher and he's. Kicking or principal. He was the principal in that movie. Well, he looks so much. Can you believe that I used to get laughs when I would say how much dangerously looked like fucking Jim Belushi? And that I would, if I'd have said Alfred Hitchcock, people would have gone, what the fuck? You know, when we talked about that story that Hulk Hogan made up about doing cocaine with John Belushi after WrestleMania, there were enough people that got in touch that said, he must have been talking about Jim Belushi. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure he made up the story about John Belushi. <laughs> Has anybody ever made up a story about Jim Belushi? Anyway, nevertheless, so that's your perception. That's my perception of what Vince said. And, you know, if you look at it in the light, the way you explained it, I just, I, I can't believe that vince himself thinks that something's finally gonna stick he's like fucking gaudy nothing in it will this be the one or will he be the teflon don all the way through hey listen it's his company and there's an investigation into him right now he does not have control he could buy it back he could try to make it private and take full control over it again which may be a wise move if you're trying to sell it anyway May not be. Could well, what that. does he do with that 80-something percent of the stock? How does that work? Do we need to get some fucking Wall Street guru on here? Well, again, he has the majority of the voting stock, but we did talk about the terms for which he could be dismissed. Well, he could be dismissed, but they can't come to the fucking house out in Greenwich and fucking yank his goddamn stock certificates out of the wall safe. So I, that's what I'm saying. How do you... Yeah. Totally get rid of somebody that owns about 80% or more of the fucking company. Huh? And would he even want to be paid off? What else is he going to do with his life? Well, that's the thing. He will. It, I'm telling you, maybe we've got the makings of a goddamn uh, another insurrection here. Because he's going to be like his boy Donald. He's not going to fucking leave one way or the other. And he knows all the fucking ins and outs of goddamn being evicted from yeah, things. Yeah. So I know all the ins and outs of Titan Tower. Let me show you the legal department. Ah. I bet you he's got a secret room in Titan Tower in case they try to kick him out. He can just go in that room and he can still be in a secret office and run the thing. They won't be able to find him. 
He'll be pushing the buttons. So who's going to be the gutsy wrestling podcaster to get David Schultz on the show right now? <laughs> hey! <what> <laughs> All right, is there anything else we need to uh, cover well, here? Yeah, one last thing before we wrap things up for today. That was the beginning of SmackDown, and then that was, whether it was Vince's goodbye forever, it was certainly his goodbye for the night. He was gone. <laughs> and then there was a few hours of SmackDown, and then the main event, I know you didn't watch it, was Riddle versus Roman Reigns, actually a really good match. Roman well, Reigns... But more importantly, was the business afterwards. That's right. Roman Reigns wins, and him and the Usos and Heyman get in the ring, and they do a promo, and he's beating everyone, and there's nothing else going on. And then the Lesnar music hits. Brock Lesnar is back. And the babies go in the air. And uh, as well as Sable's fun bags, right up in the air. <laughs> they move? Um, no. <laughs> Here's the, and again, also, we didn't even mention this earlier in this marathon podcast that you've people have just suffered through. Is another injured lip, Randy Orton, is gone apparently now, they're saying, for the rest of the year for a, a back issue, I think. I'm not sure, but the uh, point is, he's not, that's where Riddle's bro has been, is also injured. So there's another, Orton and Cody, which could have been probably the next step for Cody after uh, Seth Franklin, Franklin Rollins, Franklin, Seth Franklin Rollins, um, because the two best workers probably on the roster at that point. But now Orton's out too, so what are they going to do for SummerSlam? They've already moved money in the bank from a stadium to an arena. I'm sure they don't want to do the same thing for SummerSlam. So naturally they sent up the Brock signal and I, there's nothing wrong with that. Here you've got a rematch of the biggest money WrestleMania match that they could put together and that they did. But now the problem becomes, well, what's <laughs> If if Brock and Roman, the rematch is at SummerSlam, which that is the biggest money match they can put together, then what's the Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, and next year's WrestleMania, for that matter, by this point? They keep having to rehab and revamp and rematch the same handful of guys. And that's it's great that, you know, Brock sooner or later is going to enter the Dick the Bruiser era where Bless him, he'd been one of the biggest draws in the history of the business, but my God, he couldn't lift a foot off the ground. I'm not saying that's going to be in the next six months or so, but where are the new mega box office attractions coming from if they have to go back to this so quickly? And who else is a thing to go back to? Let's say that Orton's back by the end of the year and Cody's back by the end of the year. Add them to Reigns and... Lesnar, but who else? That's part of the problem. And of course, the freak injury to Cody was something no one expected. But Cody's the guy who's gotten the biggest push in 2022, and it's worked. And it's worked, and he's been the right guy. And now he's out. He got that push. No one else got anything close to a push. Who got a push? Madcap Moss? Turning babyface on Baron Corbin? And... The rosters already seem really thin, and then you go look at NXT, and there's a Braun Breaker, and there's a um, Cameron Grimes, who would never probably be used right by Vince McMahon. 
but there's very few guys there that look like they're ready to be elevated. We see who's out there in the free agent pool. This is a bad situation right now in terms of talent and certainly main event talent in WWE. They've got no one that they've tried to elevate. I mean, Drew McIntyre they tried. And now he's in a mid-card feud with Sheamus and his friends. Well, we, a, lot of, a lot of that got derailed by the empty arena era, and then they just backed up and gave up on it. But at the same time, does while he's, uh, he, he's a wonderful athlete, it looks great, got the size, he can talk, blah, blah, blah. Does anybody see Drew McIntyre as the next Brock Lesnar, Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan? I, you know, so they're... Braun Breaker may be that, but he's not going to be that for a couple of years because you just have to get more experience to be able to take care of yourself like that. Uh, so they're in a, it, it, as you said, it's a sad, sad situation, and it's getting more and more absurd. I mean, even the AEW guys that they would potentially want, I think a lot of those guys are now locked up to contracts for another couple of years. There is not a Jericho you can throw money at right now or a Moxley. Someone who can come in there and try to plop into a main event position. They don't have too many guys, and they've done such a horrible job with talent development on TV, on the main roster, that no one cares about most of the people there. Other than the most hardcore fans who don't care if those wrestlers win or lose, they're still going to buy the t-shirt. Well, and, and also... Remember when we went down the roster and there was, this was before the mass firings of the last year, um, but there was 200 and something talents at one point between NXT and Raw and SmackDown, if you want to split the rosters. And we picked out about what, maybe 50 that I'd really like to have if I was operating a wrestling company. And then they proceeded to, Fire about 10 of those right off, and I think another 5 or 10 have probably meandered off since then. But still, by the numbers, there ought to be more in their system than what we're seeing both on their main roster and on their developmental program. I j- apparently, they're, none of them are any better than what we're looking at, though, or elsewise they'd be showing us them. So I don't know. Every week, it's that Memphis episode where the weather was bad and there was no one there. Yeah. <laughs> like every week, it's the same eight people spread over three hours <laughs> doing the same things over and over. And I, I don't recall it being in the early Attitude Era, 96-ish, 97-ish, whatever the case, we had a roster of 20-something not even 20 guys on each side, not even 20 babyface and 20 heels, and still had more variety on a two-hour television program. I don't understand. Well, now Brock Lesnar is back in the mix. Once again, last man standing match at SummerSlam against Roman Reigns. Reminder, Roman Reigns won the last match, and now they're going to have a last man standing match before... Both guys, I guess, go away for a while, right? Roman Reigns is about to... Well, yeah, at least we won't be able to call the finish because it, it's highly likely both of them might take off after this thing. Maybe Vince can be the referee. That'll be, that'll be some type of legal settlement. Vince gets to referee and pick the last man standing in his company. We'll see what happens there with Vince and with WWE, but I guess that's all the latest news, the latest updates. I can see if anything has happened with Sasha Banks or anything else right now, but I think 
Here, early are, are we clear for the first time in, in a while, the past few days, we're clear of any breaking news by the time we finish talking about the last breaking news? Uh, hold on. Sasha Banks is trending again. I'm not sure why. People are <laughs> complimenting her all over the place. She's one of the greatest. Never been a talent like her. A generational talent. Thank you, Sasha. All right, so either she was released or uh, she's just going to feel really good waking up on this Saturday morning at checking Twitter. Love is in the air. That's right. All right. Well, this is my show still, right? Yes, it is. Well, then I can close it up. Once again, before anything else happens, folks, uh, we'll see you on the drive-thru coming up in a few days and the experience next week. And until then, thank you, fuck you again, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo.